Radio Mano Papachango. Welcome to Tangentially Speaking. I just got back from Los Angeles, down there for about a week. Uh, The purpose of going was that I was supposed to speak at the Joshua Tree Film Festival. When the guy first reached out to me, he said that uh, Duncan Trussell was probably going to be there. And um, so I thought, all right, that'll be cool, hang out with Duncan. Then uh turns out Duncan couldn't be there and uh, whatever. Okay, so I'd already planned to go. And uh, I was going to see Cassie and I were going down, you know, spend some time in the desert. It's always nice. See my folks. And then uh, some other things fell into place. So, okay, why not? It's a good trip, right? So go down and uh, very busy. Uh, first day, uh, did Rogan's podcast. And then uh, went and hung out with my friend Tao in Venice. He took some photographs. He's a photographer. Uh, I didn't realize how much I look like some sort of weird cross between um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, of course. Uh, Everyone's been commenting on that ever since I got glasses. But also Jack Nicholson and um, The Big Lebowski. Somewhere in that nexus, apparently, is where I am at this stage of my life. Um, but anyway, uh, it was great hanging out with uh, Joe, three-hour podcast as always. You know, I go in there now, I don't even really think about what we're going to talk about. I don't worry about it. It is simultaneously the longest interview, if you can call it an interview, that I ever do uh, as the interviewee. Um, but it's also the thing that I put the least amount of forethought into just because I'm hanging out with a buddy, you know, I'm not, it doesn't feel like an interview. It just feels like hanging out with an interesting, intelligent, open-minded guy and we're just talking and that's what it is. I hope my own guests feel that way on this podcast. Uh, by the way, the uh, this is a very special episode. Um, so anyone who's new to the podcast, some people heard me on Rogan or whatever, coming to check it out, you picked a really good episode. Um, because this is a, a, a Colin Cavero, I hope I pronounced his name right, um, from Man Made Lake, a band based in Victoria, Canada. Very cool guy, drove down here from Victoria and uh, had some adventures on the way, which he talks about. And um, we sat in the park, talked, and then he played a song, and then we talked some more, he played another song. And uh, so if you're not listening to this streaming through my website, which I'm sure most people aren't. If you want to see uh, Colin performing the songs that you hear in this podcast, you can go to my site, chrisryanphd.com, look at the podcast uh, tab, tangentially speaking, and you'll see the uh, this episode. There are videos there of that I took of him with my phone singing these songs. So anyway, special episode. Back to L.A. So I'm in L.A. I do this thing with uh, with Joe fantastic lots of fun hang out uh with my folks a bit my sister and her boyfriend and then cassie and i went to joshua tree for this film festival 
Well, turns out that it's the first Joshua Tree Film Festival. I thought this was some annual thing that they did every year and had been ongoing for decades. Turns out it's not. And the guy who organized it got in way over his head, um, apparently. And the story I heard was that he was working with some local person who had helped him put it all together. And the day that the festival started, she took all the DVDs and the projectors and disappeared. Probably because he it became clear to her that she wasn't going to get paid for all the work that she'd been doing. So... The whole thing just fell apart. It was a, uh, it was a, as big a disaster as something like that could be. Uh, performers were there. I mean, DJ Dog Pound was there. Um, uh, a friend of Duncan's, and and I'd met him before, and uh, he performed. Got stiffed. Didn't get the money that he was promised. Other comedians uh, were on their way in, and of course, he alerted them to the situation. They turned around, went back to L.A. Uh, people had flown in from all over the place. We met a guy there from France, had come in to show his movie, and the thing never screened because you'd show up and there was nobody there. It was just confusion, chaos. They had screening scheduled for the middle of the afternoon on an outdoor uh, screen in fucking daylight, in the desert. Like, how the hell are you going to screen a movie at like 98 degrees in sunlight it just made it was the most shitty shittily planned film festival ever so i never actually gave my talk <laughs> i never i mean you know i got a cassie and i had a free room for two nights beautiful place if you follow me on instagram you might have seen some of the photos that I posted from the the motel of the uh, amazing sign next to the pool incredibly American artifact this sign it it was like uh, three feet wide by four feet high and it probably had 20 different warnings on it warning danger don't run don't slip don't dive don't take any electrical things in the pool ah terror scary don't ah incredible what a weird thing and then there was this other sign next to it that said um if you have had active diarrhea in the last 14 days you are not permitted to enter the pool now they didn't ask for a fecal sample when we checked into the motel but jeez calm down people what the fuck is going on Anyway, this was the motel where supposedly U2 was staying um, when they got the inspiration to do the Joshua Tree. By the way, that noise you may be hearing in the background is Casilda making a smoothie. She doesn't know I'm recording. Now it stopped. Uh, So that is what I've been doing. And then I went uh, and interviewed... A guy who is the host of a show, he's in the fourth season, I think he said, um, Jonathan Legg, L-E-G-G. He hosts a show called um, uh, the, the Road Less Traveled. It's a, it's a travel show that uh, gets into obscure places. It doesn't do the sort of typical thing that you know most travel shows would do. You go to Rome, go to the Colosseum or whatever. They they do something unusual that you don't know about, that you haven't heard about before. Seems like a very interesting show. I haven't seen it. It's 
um, distributed around the world. It's on Discovery Channel in some countries and um, National Geographic in other countries. Uh, in the U.S., it's the outside channel. I'm not sure where that is. It's apparently uh, a uh, cable thing. But he's a really interesting guy. We had a good good chat. Before meeting with him, I went down to the studios of the Young Turks in Culver City and had a half-hour conversation with the lovely uh, Anna Kasparian uh, about uh, monogamy and um, polyamory and alternative relationships and jealousy and all that kind of stuff, which was very interesting because her boyfriend was in the studio with us uh, observing the conversation. (laughs) So I'm not sure what the subtext of that was, whether you know, whose idea it was to have me in there and talk about things. I'm never sure about that when I get involved in these private matters on a public stage. Speaking of private matters on a public stage, today is the 16th anniversary of the day I met Casilda, which is um, the day we celebrate. We don't really celebrate it, though. We just note it. Um, We don't really... I don't even know the anniversary of our marriage. If I ever get asked that in some interview, I'm going to be in trouble. We got married twice, uh, once in California and once in Spain, um, because it's easier to just get married in a country than to transfer the paperwork from another country to that country. So, um, but we, uh, we remember the day we were, we met and, uh, in Peniche, Portugal way back when 16 years Anyway, I'm not going to talk about that too much. Uh, I I don't really understand the compulsion to say private things to your partner publicly. Like in Facebook, I always see these things where someone will say like, you know, dear Elizabeth, we've been together 20 years and you're the most amazing person I've ever known. Why are you saying that on Facebook? Why am I reading that? I, I feel... I feel like I'm intruding uh, inadvertently in your private life here. You got something private to say, say it privately. I, I don't, why am I listening to this? You know, I, I feel like you're walking down the street minding your own business and somebody grabs you and pulls you in through the windows and makes you watch them fuck their wife. You know, like I don't give, why am I here? Congratulations to you and Elizabeth. Leave me out of it. So it's our anniversary. This podcast is is uh, long enough and and intricate enough that I am going to uh, desist from making it any more complicated by yammering on about anything more than I've already yammered on about. Just a word about uh, the the way it's put together. Uh, you know, we were talking, and then Colin would stop and play a song, and then I'd ask him to play another song and play another song, and so there are lots of songs, and we talk about some of the songs, but. Um, you know, I, I couldn't put them in, in the place where we talked about them because that would, it would pack too many songs in the one place. So I think there are four or five different songs that he plays in the course of this. Um, I'll, I put them in, sort of broke it up, uh, as artfully as I could. Um, but, uh, please uh, forgive us if we talk about a song before you hear it or, you know, well after, um, they're all they're all in here and and we discuss them all to some extent some more in depth than others um anyway it was really cool to hang out with Colin and his uh, partner whose name I don't remember but who is lovely as you would imagine when you hear how cool this guy is 
they have a really nice thing going on. And if you're in Victoria or Vancouver or anywhere on the west coast of Canada or anywhere in Canada, if they do a tour, make sure you check these guys out. Um, I haven't met the whole band, but Colin's a hell of a guy. Very cool, charismatic, great singer, great songwriter, as you'll hear, and a real mensch. Non-Jews are allowed to use the word mensch, aren't we? Or do you have to be part of the tribe to use that word? Is it like the N-word where you have to be black to use that real word? So do I have to say Colin is a real M-word? I don't know. In any case, he's a mensch. Uh, I'm going to play you out or play him in or whatever it is I'm doing with a song called Simple Man, which I've played on the podcast before. Um, but that was a studio version. I'm going to play the version he played sitting in Laurelhurst Park a few weeks ago, and then we'll get into the conversation right after that. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for all the support that you give it through the Amazon affiliate links, through Fund What You Love, through buying t-shirts from my mom, Julie, and just from listening and telling your friends about it. Really appreciate it, and I'm glad we're all doing this together. Catch you next week. What I think I'll do is we're rolling. Help him up with gentle hands A piece of thread, a hard pour glass Cause I know I'm not a simple man I take the blows the best I can I try, I need your smile Yes and I, I need your smile Let's sever all our vicious thoughts Let's try to laugh and steer our hearts Cause you know I'm not a simple man You take the blows the best you can I try, I need to be candid And I know I need to be kind Little diamond fingers Resting on the books I'm running through with pleasure I'm hanging on the hooks Yes, and I am a difficult man If there's anything I've learned It's how to love Each day as if you'll die Paint the canvases of your life Cause you know I'm just a wild man Say the words the best you can I try, 
I need to be candid And I know one needs to be kind Yes, and I, I need to be kinder Yes, and I, I need to be kind Little diamond fingers Resting on the books Running through with pleasure I'm hanging on the hooks Yes, and I am a difficult man If there's anything I've learned If there's anything I've learned If there's anything I've learned Is how to love. All right. I am in Laurelhurst Park with uh, Colin. What is your last, how do you pronounce your last name? It's Cravero. Cravero. Yes. Cravero, who drove his ass all the way down here from Victoria, B.C. That's correct. What an honor, man. Oh, what an honor on this side, too. I have to say, it was quite the uh, journey on the way down. I was just telling you before the podcast that um, we had a bit of a mishap on the way down. Um, my wife and I, being from B.C., we uh, wanted to come down to Washington and partake in the legality of a lot of things, uh-huh. you know, and that was pretty exciting. So we get on the ferry and we go to the Peace Arch uh, and um, we get there and everything's good. And there's a dispensary, literally not even a few blocks down. And uh, we, get the, we get our things and we go and have, a, you know, have a little smoke and then... Um, we drive another three hours because we wanted to see the Kurt Cobain and uh, Jimi Hendrix um, thing uh, at the Seattle Museum. They uh-huh. have like a some kind of weird thing. But anyways, um, so we get there. Traffic is so bad that we can't actually go into the museum. We can't do anything. Um, we couldn't even stop our car. We couldn't find anywhere to go. So we just finally got fed up and said, screw it. It was pouring with rain. I guess mm-hmm. there was a Seahawks game, so people were going yeah. nuts. Yeah. I'm not into sports, but some people are. Seahawks? I didn't even know football season started. I don't know. Yeah. Some, they told me that it's like a preseason oh, game. Right. So we find this Thai restaurant, and we're soaked, we're tired, we're grumpy. And we get inside there, and we order this, this giant, delicious Thai feast. And um, they bring us the bill, and my wife's like... Do you, can you go get the wallet from the car? Uh-oh. And I'm like, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. So I go in the car and can't find it. And I look under the seats, I look in the bag. Now, when we went to the dispensary, I put my Interact and all my ways of paying for anything in her wallet. So we, um, so that's a little before. And uh, so she said, I can't find my wallet anywhere. And we were literally at about tenth of a tank of gas. We had like no gas. We're in this Thai restaurant in this area in Washington called Renton. So it's probably almost three hours or an hour and a half, two hours away from Seattle. Um, we have like no gas, nothing. And uh, go into my car and we can't find her wallet anywhere. We look everywhere. We had just got a $50 bill at this Thai restaurant. We had to be at this bed and breakfast in Portland. Um, we had everything in her wallet and it was gone gone just 
everything. No gas, no money, no <laughs> cards, nothing. And it's pouring Fuck. with rain. We're in like the worst situation I've ever, like it, it was like the worst day, you know, and we're driving around and then it gets worse because. Wait a minute. How do yeah. you mean you're driving around? What'd you say to the restaurant? We said to them, we're like, look, we have no money. Lisa managed, my wife managed to find some old checks and like was like, do you guys take checks? And they're like, no. Yeah. And we're like, we have nothing for you. Like, you're going to have to either phone a cop and, you know, neutral, like talk to us or figure out something or I don't know. Like, we don't know what we're going to do. Right. So he's like, all right, we'll take the check Relu- very reluctantly. Right. Um, so we took, but the show me your ID. <laughs> I don't have any ID. <laughs> yeah, we have nothing. <laughs> and well, luckily, oh, man. and not even a week ago, my wallet was stolen off a table in a pub. So, Are you kidding me? So I didn't have all of my, my stuff either. Um, cause I had to cancel everything. And so we both had... Is your, like, Saturn in, in, you know, is there some weird (laughs) shit happening in your sign? How are you getting robbed twice in a week? That's incredible. So were you robbed, though? I was robbed originally in the pub, but Lisa, we don't know. Like, we... We've torn our car apart. We don't know what happened. We went and had a, a smoke somewhere in this, like, like across the street from the dispensary. Right. And we phoned the police and said, hey, like, we were at a dispensary and we just smoked weed and all our wallet's gone. <laughs> it was yeah. kind of, and then they thought it was pretty funny. But then, and then, of course, he's just like, by the way, uh, in this in this state, you can't even smoke in public. So just try to, you know. Oh, they told you that. Yeah, they, oh, gave, that's us, cool. they gave my wife a little, like, just so you know, like, be cool when it comes to this stuff you know and whatever but we were just absolutely freaking out so and i was worried that i wasn't going to get to portland because we maybe had about 20 minutes of gas left and we had to get it took we had three hours to get to portland still you should have called me man i know well i was actually probably going to but then we ended up contacting her parents and they sent us a wire transfer of all the stuff we needed so we're all good now but it was luckily my wallet i got my wallet back and oh yeah and this is the thing when my wallet was stolen victoria being victoria the cops phoned me and were like hey there we got your wallet here if you come on down right. and i'm like no way so i got my wallet back but i all my cards were canceled so right. the, the cards i have on me didn't work so but you got id you have your id that's, and that's good luckily our passports were you know so your passports were separate you still have oh good because yeah getting back over the border could be a nightmare we were just our hearts were literally coming out of our assholes it was not a good time that's an interesting image there (laughs) tell why you're the songwriter yeah i know my heart's coming out of my asshole (laughs) that's what it felt like (laughs) baby yeah (laughs) so yeah so the way that this all has started is actually a pretty awesome sort of journey and adventure to say the least yeah yeah but uh wow man well you've probably heard me tell the story about getting robbed in barcelona how that changed my life yeah Yeah. so who knows maybe you're gonna live in portland the rest of your life man you know what i have a feeling there's something about that moment (laughs) that could actually give me some sort of solace in some way you know i always believe that the more shit you go through there's always some kind of I don't know. There's some kind of outcome. It's not always positive, but there's definitely an outcome that I think that can serve as a as a learning experience or something even like, you know, something even better comes along sometimes. Yeah. I think sometimes you have to go through hell to know what the feeling of sunlight feels like on your face. You know right. I mean? There's some line from, I think it's Khalil Gibran who said that something like, uh, never resist the cracking of your heart. The light mm. can only enter through the cracks. Oh my God! Something amazing. along those lines. I love that. 
Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. Like yeah. that's, and I think, you know, for, you know, a lot of artists that are really into being musicians and whatever, or, or painters or sculptors or even comics, um, I think that you find that a lot of them have their own personal experiences that led them to that final place of being an artist of right. some kind, right? you know? And I think, I think there's really something to that, you know? And I think that we shouldn't always shy away from the hard thing that you have to get over. Like, I think sometimes we need to, you know, be mindful of the actual experience of going through a shitty time so that when you get out the end, um, sometimes you come out with a whole basket of new tools in life to yeah. deal with. So yeah, and it's like I mean, not to get too cheesy here, but what's there's some other line about the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference, right? And I often think about that in terms of experience, right? Mm-hmm. The opposite of um of a great experience isn't a terrible experience. Mm-hmm. It's it's no experience at all. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like. A, uh, a shitty experience you're alive mm-hmm. it's a deep experience because yeah. it's so shitty you're like fuck yeah. and you're really paying attention and yeah. you're scared and you're anxious and that is life and exactly. and you know life even when it sucks is still life it's yeah. still there's still something innately fascinating about it oh, and God. you know and i think you know the worst thing is when you lose that feeling of being alive it's yeah. You know, better to be suffering than nothing at all. Exactly. Know? And I mean, you know... I, Easy I, for a couple of white guys <laughs> in Portland to say, isn't it? <laughs> With our, like, <laughs> I've got no socks on in my, like, low-top converse. I'm like, yeah, man. <laughs> I'm surprised I'm suffering. Son- yeah, my world's hard. <laughs> <laughs> my glasses are fogged. Yeah. Uh, hey, really nice tattoo, by the way. Oh, thanks, I, I've man. never seen... Can I take a picture of that yeah, to, to put sure up? Can. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's I've never seen a, a tattoo like that. It's very, it's very yeah, creative and uh, funky. Yeah. It's a murder of crows that I uh, took a picture of flying out of a, an oak tree in Victoria um, one morning after yet another hard and frustrating time in my life. So uh-huh. one morning I was working and the sun was rising and I was picking up garbage. I used to be a gar- I'm, I used to be a garbage collector and like um, like a like a parks worker for the municipality. So I was working one morning. And the sun was just coming up and uh, there's a pink, you know, bloody sky. And I was just watching this giant murder of crows in this in this oak tree. I guess maybe one had died. I don't know. Sometimes they have funerals for each other. It was a very strange scene. And all of a sudden something just clicked in all of their minds at the same time. And they all flew off the tree at the same time. And it was like, would it be like to watch like a biker gang leave their uh, their bar? To and, like, and everyone's going in a different direction. That's right. Wow. And they all just took off and the cawing and like just the, just, they, they just went through the sky. And there was this sense of like, I don't know, like, I don't know how to describe really what I learned, <laughs> which kind of sounds bad, but it's more about the feeling that I got because I felt for once that uh, I'm really not that special. Mm. And um, no matter what happens to me, life is still going on. And these crows will fly to their tree. The, the cars will drive by, you know, <laughs> it's, 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 there's nothing you can really do to stop this, you know, river we're floating down, really. Yeah. So I just kind of saw that experience and I decided to take the picture of it. I have the oak tree on my back and they're flying out of the... the oh, really? The it's a whole body thing. Yeah, oh, it's like wow. a big oak tree on my back and then it just kind of flies off. And, and is there like a hands. dude on your ass picking up garbage? <laughs> yeah, that's the next thing. <laughs> I was trying to figure out a way to implement myself. Could you imagine? You know what, Chris? I think I'll take that that's into consideration. Nice. Right. That, guy, do- that guy's tramp stamp is himself. <laughs> 
imagine? I bet you I'd be the only one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, maybe I could do like a Banksy style me. With yeah. Like, like with, a, with a pail and a garbage pickup and like, yeah. you know, kind of go from there. So I like your thinking. That's good. That's good. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, no, that's definitely a lot of people sort of look at it. And it's, it's funny because, um, you know, a lot of people get flack for tattoos, like in certain places, like my job, I work at a private school and I take care of the grounds, um, just from like, you know, just as like a day thing. And, um, it's a very prestigious private school. Uh So, you know, it's kind of the sort of 1% style thing. Right. right. And so, um, (laughs) when people come to, uh, uh, show the kids around at the school. Like the families will come with like a you know someone to walk them around and show them. It's funny sometimes they'll come and they'll start walking toward me and I'm working and they'll see me and they'll do this like distant wave and change course and walk around. Really? And I because I, of the tattoo. I think it's just because like I'm at work. I'm loud. I'm noisy. I'm the guy with the weed whacker, the mower. I've got oh. tattoos. You know, I'm I'm just not. I'm definitely not the the symbol of. You're their not school. one of them. No, mm. no. But I love the place, and they're great. They treat me well. But right. Yeah. I don't know. It's just kind of funny. Well, my buddy Voodoo is based in Victoria now. Yeah, we have a connection with him. Actually. Oh, you do? You? My drummer Morgan. Um, he's he's this fantastic drummer. I've been really close with. He's like a brother to me. And uh, he's actually knows Voodoo, um, and has actually had work done by him. Mm. And they've they've hung out together, and God knows what they get up to. Um, he, <laughs> he, no good, I'm yeah, sure. I'm sure, but you know, he's told me a lot about Voodoo, and Voodoo sounds like a really awesome, interesting guy. In fact, Morgan yeah. is trying to get him to manage us, trying to get him to manage our band. Oh boy! And um, Morgan said, you know, uh, that that Voodoo said, well, I'm an all-in kind of guy, so you know, there's no <laughs> fucking around here. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, he's and, an all-in kind of guy. And the thing sure. is, if you were to meet Morgan, you'd probably see some comparisons to those. Because the yeah. thing about Morgan is, like, he's just such a, like a, he's an entity. Yeah. Like, you know, there's something sh- like like pulsating off of him that's yeah. just really powerful well yeah. that yeah that's why they connected i guess yeah v- voodoo's a force of nature for yeah. sure he's he's a big like you know he's just all superlatives you know right. he's like i, I he <laughs> years ago he he and i decided we were gonna work out together okay you know and Voodoo's like he's not—he's not a guy you'd look at and say, "Oh, that's a super fit guy." Right. You know, he's a bear. He's right. not a—you know—he's not Tarzan. He's a fucking gorilla, big gorilla. And yeah, I mean, I don't even remember how much weight he was lifting, but it was—it was, it was oh. embarrassing. Oh. You know, like he'd get finished bench pressing and then like take all the weight off and leave the smallest one on for me. You know, really? here you go, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you can lift this. Like, like, oh, I can't even do that. Voodoo. I know. You know yeah. what? I'm like you, man. I, I, I try to try to lift weights and then like every time I go, I just kind of sit there like, uh, I don't know. There's something about the weightlifting, like gym culture that I, I like, I struggle with. Like I, I love what it does to you. Cause you feel good. Right. And like, you know how they describe runners high or workout high or whatever. Yeah, I've is. never had it. Yeah. You were saying that yeah. in a podcast before. And, um, I kind of, you got to like really kill yourself to get that feeling. Like, yeah. like you got to be dying, you yeah. know, it seems like. And, um, so when I'm at the gym and I'm, you know, with, you know, trying to lift weights and stuff and working out with people, a lot of the time they're, they're just like, 
these giant guys with like these huge weights. And then I come in, I'm like, um, are you done with that? And he's, they're <laughs> Sir? Like, yes, yes, you can use it now. <laughs> and then I pull it out and I put my little, what is it, little stick thing you put in the weights. And it's like, you know, two or three little uh, bars. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, and I hope no one's watching. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I try to do it. I try to stay in some form of shape somehow. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be, if, if Voodoo ends up repping you guys, God knows what'll happen. Oh I, yeah, I, I don't know what what that'll do to your career, but <laughs> it'll be interesting. Well, I it was funny because this was about I think six two months to a year ago, and I don't think anything really came out of it in the end because he's he's do, he's all over the place. I think doing his own thing and he's yeah. tattooing and, he, and he's kind of busy. But um, yeah, I don't know if he will. But yeah, we're kind of at that state right now where we're in that limbo with the band with Man Made Lake. Uh-huh. We're, we're, we're we're kind of at that point where looking for that kind of rep- at the right representation right which is never easy chris here i'm back <clears throat> we're going to take a break and i'm going to play uh another song that colin recorded in the in the park called doris hope you enjoy i love this song this is really uh one of my favorites this is doris by man made lake <laughs> Every time I'm breathing, I think about the world that I came in Painting all them hearts with glitter pearls, tickets and diamonds Throwing all my bottles against walls, tainted with bloodstains Calling out to doors, deep out on the seventh run Calling out to Doris, deep out on the seventh run. And you are pretty colors and roses grow for saints. And you are pretty colors. Roses grow the saints Take away that shimmering That you had came in Not put away that music box hard, sensitive malice. Let me dream, let me speak to you. Let me hurt, oh, and let me use a dagger. And you are pretty color. Grow for saints And you are Ready color 
the same And roses grow for saints And you are pretty colors And you are pretty colors Uh, so let's talk about that song, Simple Man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, that we, we began with. By the yeah. way, uh, let's get real professional. Sure. You're listening to Tangentially Speaking. <laughs> with Dr. Christopher Ryan and Colin Cravero. Coming to you from Lakehurst Park in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> the smell of weed and wind in our faces. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the smell of wind. What the hell is that? And what was the line we said earlier? Oh, your, your heart's coming out of your asshole. That's right. Yeah. Nothing like a heart coming straight out of your asshole. <laughs> <laughs> all oh right, so uh, simple man. Yeah. So what? All right. For, first thing that 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 I noticed about the song is I needs to be kind. Now, why the S and needs? Um, my the way that I speak is really horrid. I have terrible <laughs> speaking skills. Um, horrid. Horrible. Horrid. T- uh-huh. Like grammatic. As uh, remember the first um, uh, uh, email I sent you, and I did the wrong there. Remember, I was like, and then you're like, it was E-I-R. Don't tell me I corrected you. But you did it in a really good, funny, nice way. Oh, really? You were very sweet about it. And my wife almost lopped my head off with some (laughs) shears because she was so embarrassed. Why why would I correct you on an email? That's such a pedantic asshole move. Do you know what it was? It was because I posted my lyrics of Simple Man on Uh, this thing. So you were actually saving me. Okay, yeah. Because then the world would see how horrible my... my Yeah, I'll correct people if I see. Well, actually, this morning, a, a guy who was on the podcast, uh, who shall remain nameless, <laughs> fair enough, uh, sent me a link to his blog, and I noticed a mistake, and I was, and I made a note of it, like, yeah. hey, I'll let him know it's his blog, it's public, whatever. Right. But then in the next paragraph, there were like six more mistakes, and I was like, <laughs> oh fuck it, this guy doesn't give a shit, no, you know, exactly. or if he does, I don't have the yeah. time to, you know, yeah. proofread his blog for him. Well, the way that I've kind of been is. Um, um, I was a, I'm a huge fan of Charles Bukowski because he always just did everything in the way that he, he everything he did was just him. You know what I mean? And he admitted is like his grammar, his writing was just the way it float, you know, just came out of his mind naturally, right? And um, so whenever I write lyrics, they're normally jumbled images that have lines that sometimes don't make sense that not like they don't make sense but the grammar the the grammatical aspect isn't very good hmm. so like when i say i needs to be kinder that's just how i would have said it regularly it like, sounds God, it sounds great kinder. yeah you know like and it's just maybe it's like in up in canada you know we have some sort of ways like we have ways of saying words and it's kind of like you live in Vancouver I don't know if you saw too much of that in Vancouver but if you go to like Vancouver Island or like northern BC or pretty much everywhere from that to the east you just hear that Canadians have a weird sort of way of saying words and I've got a lot of American friends who always say oh god you couldn't sound more Canadian so it's pretty funny but yeah so with simple man it's just kind of you know you get what you get because it's just right. the way that I think that the the line to come out, so, right? Yeah. yeah, but uh, diamond fingers resting on the books, resting on the books, L- little diamond, little fingers diamond fingers resting, resting on, on the, the books. books, running through with pleasure. I'm hanging on the hooks. Right. So the way that that line kind of goes is, it's like 
the, the way I like to write is I like to picture something in my mind. Like I like it, like almost like a painting or a photo. And then I just describe what's happening. Um, like when I, Simple Man is about basically, as you probably know, me kind of being an asshole, being the difficult guy. And, you know, when I'm arguing with whoever it is, I used um, my, my wife for an example. She's sitting there reading the book, listening to me go on and on and on. And I'm just looking at her hands, holding the book. I'm, 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 I'm thinking about our argument and how I'm saying it, what the problem is, what the emotion is. And that's sort of where that line kind of comes from. It's more of the, the, the moment, describing that moment. Because then in the chorus, I go back into... I'm a difficult man, right. you know, if there's anything I've learned, it's how to love. So, right. and how to be kind and how to be kinder. Yeah. 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 Try to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy always, but you can do it. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. It's very, you. uh, you know, it's always funny talking to musicians about their music. Um, you know, I guess there's some similarity to when people are talking to me about stuff I've written that, yeah. you know, I'm aware of the fact that my relationship to what you created is different from your relationship to yeah. it, you know? Yeah. So it's a mistake to see it as a window into you in a way. It is yeah. a window, but it's a distorting glass, right? That's right. And but yeah, I and mean, the song to me feels really intimate and personal and confessional. And it, it, you couldn't have said it better. It's extremely confessional. Yeah. Like that's the number one thing. Is like, uh, for me, it was at a point where I was like, enough's enough. You know, I'm just this. I get to a point where you know I'm normally like the bad guy of like the friend group or like like you know Larry David and Kirby Enthusiasm. Sort of like he's funny though. Like, for me, I'm not quite as funny as him. So, you know, like, I like to think of that dun, 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 thing going on. But really, it's I'm just sort of normally the guy that get back, paints myself into a corner. Uh, and so The Simple Man was really just that was like a like a narrative of, of, of that, you know. Right. But what's simple about that? What's simple about being a difficult man? I'm so easily... <laughs> Like, I'm so easily ready to move on from the problem. So, like, when people want to, like, talk about issues or, like, go on about what happened, sometimes they'll want to dive into this really deep, you know, know, like, therapeutic, you know, talk. Whereas I'm just really good with the, I'm sorry, you know, can we just, you know, let's move on. Let's, you know, take it and, you know, just let's just forget about it or like let's learn from it or something you know Mm. so like i'm simple in that sense like i'm a simple person in terms of like and i don't hold grudges to people like if someone's an asshole to me or fucks around if they're sorry i'm good Mm. i i don't i don't have room in my computer mind or whatever i am to to hold that right so you know i think that's the sort of that weird it's kind of a juxtaposition really if you think about it because like you said what's simple about being difficult you know what I mean? So, but yeah, but I see what you're saying. There is yeah. there is a simplicity to it, and and like you're saying, the window into the person, like right. that, could be construed as something completely different, right? right. Sort of like a weird, you know, things that doesn't really make sense. But yeah, yeah, that's kind of how it works for me, anyways. And there's, not to get too too personal here, but oh, um, my wife is is simple in some respects. Mm. Uh, and some of the difficulties that she and I have in terms of relationship mm-hmm. is uh, comes about as a as a result of a clash between her essential simplicity, I think, mm-hmm. and the complexity of life. Like mm-hmm. I said, I'm half an hour late for this podcast because right. she 
wasn't paying attention to what time it was and right. didn't text me to let me know right. it was going to be a half hour later than we thought. And, you know, I'm leaving her messages. What's going on? Yeah. And, you know, and it, it becomes this big fucking deal. It, yeah. But really all it is is she's in an art class mm-hmm. paying attention to her art and yeah. forgetting everything else, which right. is a beautiful thing. Yeah. But exactly. the problem is there's a world going on outside that I'm plugged into and I've got my schedule and I've got all my shit and then yeah. it turns into a big fucking deal. Whereas if we were living, you know, in the countryside somewhere and she went out to to paint yeah. and didn't come home till whenever the fuck she came home, nobody yeah. it wouldn't matter. No, exactly. So there's the conflict between the simplicity of your your essence yes. and the complexity of the world you're living in. It's so true. Yeah. It, and you, someone around you has to pick up the slack for that shit. So maybe right. it's your wife or whoever it is. Yeah. They're like, yeah, okay, I'm the one who has to pay the fucking bills because you don't think about money, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. congratulations for being simple, buddy. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. a real luxury to be simple. It, it really is, you know? It's it's so true. And yeah. there's there's something that you actually said. I don't know the exact... Uh, forgive me if I don't say it exactly how you said it, but uh, someone asked you about your relationship with your wife and they said, and you described it like you'd been in like 15 different relationships right. in that period of time you've been together. And I couldn't relate with you more. Mm. Um, I find like when it comes to my wife and I, um, her and I have a, a very different way of being together. We're a very different kind of couple. And um, so in the last, we've been together now for 10 years this year, and it's been like 50, 15 to 50 different relationships, you know? like <laughs> Some of them overlapping. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. yeah. Like, seriously. So, yeah. you know, when it comes to, like, picking up the slack, and I mean, I'm obviously, my, my wife helps me a lot, but, you know, sometimes you just got to do it yourself and try to, like, navigate through, you know, thinking about other people and thinking about the situation at hand. And like today, even I was a little bit late. So that's a kind of like I was about 10 minutes probably late. So Uh it's funny, like there is that element to to oneself where you can admit like this is who I am. But um, yeah, help (laughs) somebody. (laughs) It's also I mean, these things are cultural, too, right? Like, absolutely. You know, we're in Spain and uh you know, from from her perspective, she could say I'm hyper aware of time and to the mm-hmm. point where I create unnecessary anxiety over it. Right. Because we're always, you know, in Spain, people say, yeah, dinner party, you know, get here around eight. Yeah. My feeling is like we should be there at eight. Right. And we get there at eight and nobody else is there till nine. Right. And then we're just sort of sitting there and I'm stressed out like, no, we have to take a taxi because you're not ready. And then then we get there and like, there's nobody here. You know, like, now who's the dick? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. the dick. I I relate to that with with driving even like, you know, like firstly, normally I'm always about five or 10 minutes late and then I'm freaking out going, okay, like, you know, how, you know, like, like if, if it doesn't go my way, if it's not as smooth as I envisioned it to be, Mm. like, you know how you envision what you're going to do and you're like, ah, it's going to be like oil slick and we're, 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 we're good. Yeah, no. No. And like even this trip down to Portland, for example, mm-hmm. we had the big plans to go to the 
to the museum and wander around with our, you know, our coffee and, and then drive to, to Portland and here we are. But no, 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 it didn't quite go as planned. So, yeah. you know, and, and I was freaking out, yeah. <laughs> just to say the least. But yeah. no, but, but it was definitely one of those things that, you know, when it comes to relationships or just even relationships with friends and people that have spent a lot of time with you, I have a really good friend that I work with uh, named Kathy and at work she's kind of, been kind of like that for me where uh, she sort of picks up the slack here to that here and there in a lot of ways and it's it's funny just even outside of your own day-to-day relationships people you get to know people that you're with in terms of you know work but companions or or just general friends it's funny how much they sort of bend and they become malleable and they be bend around you and mm. they know what you who you are as a person and I find that it's fascinating the way that we interact with each other and, and how much we, even without saying it or knowing it, we pick up each other's slack in some ways. Yeah. Like if I'm at, a, like a, like a, at an event or something with friends and I know that one of my friends is very, you know, like he's loud and he's abrasive and he's kind of crazy, there's always going to be that feeling like, you know, he could say anything at any time and then I'll know when right to cut in and change the subject. <laughs> you know what I mean? So You might want to you know, hone that skill when you're hanging out with Voodoo. Yes, yes. I've heard things. I've <laughs> you have heard, heard things? I've never met him yet, but I definitely heard that he's quite... Voodoo's, a, voodoo's a, um, a free spirit, for sure. Yeah, when I first met him, it was, uh, this was like 20 years ago or something, where uh, a friend used to have, I think it was Friday, every Friday night he'd have dinner at his house, mm-hmm. and everybody like within the circle of friends knew, like every Friday night, you know, 7 yeah. o'clock or 10 o'clock, whatever it was, right. possibly. Dave and Paul's house and uh, and so I'd started going and Voodoo showed up and I was like who the fuck is this big loud <laughs> you know opinionated tattoo covered you know biker looking dude yeah. on the sofa and uh, he apparently I don't remember this but Voodoo tells the story that um, I was sitting there and he was going on about something and the first thing I said was what's your IQ <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Which, if I said that, you know, I I don't know if I did, but it was probably just because I thought it was off the charts. He's he's super smart. I'm going to have to use that sometime. I'm going to ask people that from now on. I love it. But he said it really, uh, it took, it sort of like stunned him for a second. Like, like, who the fuck are you asking me? What's my IQ? Yeah. And then he realized, he's like, I'm going to like this guy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That is so funny. Hey, Voodoo. I hope you're listening to this out there. Yeah, Voodoo. You are. Hope I get to meet you someday. <laughs> um, so, like, have you always been a musician at heart? Were you uh, playing guitar as a little kid? Well, what happened was, is when I was a little boy, I lived with my grandmother um, in a, some farm in Machosan, and it was pretty isolated. Machosan? So Where's that? It's like, it's out in, Vict- it's, it's, okay, so you know South Vancouver Island? Well, if you go, like, drive north out of Victoria, northwest, um, you'll get into pretty much boonie lands, yeah. like, like, not much going on. So there's a little municipality, I don't know what you call it, municipality area called Machosan. Mm. And it's this really beautiful, farmy, small community, but really large, like, property uh, areas. Like spread out. It's very spread yeah. out. And it's right on the ocean. 
So as a kid, I lived out there. And um, oh, which side? Um, it would be on the west. So oh, like, like above Tofino. Mm, it's still very south. Below, to, uh, to, very, very south to Tofino. It's uh, probably about four, maybe half an hour, forty minutes outside of Victoria. By by pure happenstance, I watched a video this morning that was recorded in Tofino on the beach. Oh wow! Uh, an Australian guy who's a buddy of. What's his name? Kim Churchill. You ever heard of him? Kim Churchill, yeah. Yeah, he's a friend of a guy I did a podcast with just a couple weeks ago. It's not up yet. Um, Well, as of today. Who knows as of when this goes up. But um, uh, West. Uh, Nathaniel West. Okay. Uh, really interesting guy. Anyway, he's Australian, and he told we were talking. And I was like, "Is there any music you'd like me to play?" You know, and he's nice. like, "My buddy Kim Churchill," and right. so he sent me a link. And uh, so Kim's gone on tour in Canada. Oh, cool! A couple times, and he, um, yeah, they recorded a thing in Tofino. He's a surfer. Oh, nice. Yeah. So well, you're gonna really... have plenty of good surfing vibes over there. Yeah. It's. I mean, I've Tofino's gone. To, great. I've gone to Tofino quite a few times. Well, not actually, not quite a few, but I've been there. And every time I go there, it's either pouring with rain. But then when it, it, it sort of clears up a little bit and then these beautiful fog clouds just kind of come in like mm. some ghost that's like you're breathing in. And it's, it's just this amazing, um, I don't know, there's something weird about the air. Like you, it, it, it charges you in a different way. Yeah. You know, your body, God, I sound so BC. But no, anyway, it's true. <laughs> it's, it's so alive just, up there. It is. Everything. You walk through the woods and you feel almost like you are just as significant as that tree beside yeah. you. And you don't feel you know, as, you know, human, you feel more part of that, that landscape yeah. of Tofino. And well, it's, and it's uh, the whole West Coast of BC. It's like you're on the edge. You, yeah. you really feel you're on the edge of something yeah. much more than in California or down, you know, in the U.S. I, the further north you get, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Alaska and yeah. Anyway, so I interrupted you. No, so no, so you're okay. you're on Vic, uh, Vancouver Island. You're on the West Coast. Yeah. You're with your grandmother. So we're in Grand. So she, you know, decided. You know, I, I was a really strange kid. I, when when I went to school, I'd wear costumes and paint my face and wear capes, and I was obsessed with musicals. And 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 no kids wanted to play with the weird guy with cat whiskers drawn on his face. So um, my grandma. So what's this? Sixteen, seventeen? <laughs> no. Well, yeah, well, actually, <laughs> no. That, that was mostly just nail polish, eyeliner, and self loathing but <laughs> applied thickly yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah. but no when i was a kid i was just obsessed with things that made it hard for me to make a lot of friends so um my grandma put me into uh, violin and piano and piano mm. just clicked and i studied piano and became obsessed and I actually my my dream and goal in life was to become a you know like play in the symphony and and, and become a you know and and write scores for for film and, and mm. stuff and then unfortunately i was in a in a really bad not too bad but a bad car accident where I fell asleep at the wheel and I crashed into a tree and I tore my thumb and if you can see it's very different than the other one so it's my thumb now is pretty much straight I can bend it a little bit but I bet long story short I lost the ability to play anywhere as well as I used to and I became excruciatingly depressed and uninterested in music until one day, a friend of mine brought over two acoustic guitars. I was about sixteen, or no, I was I was a bit older, but um, brought some guitars over, and we just 
started jamming and and then I just said, you know what, I can actually hold a guitar mm. with the thumb the way it is and still play songs. Mm. So I translated all of my passion for um, the piano into the guitar and songwriting as opposed to just playing a piano. So um, then Fucking I... Fucking Django Reinhardt, man. <laughs> well, I, you know what, I just, you, you, you just gotta figure out, you, like you can't end it there. Like yeah. you're talking about having the really shitty go, how it ends up making it almost more beneficial for you in the end because we wouldn't probably have this conversation because I'd be sitting there, you know, you know, like not singing songs and not, you know, pers- like I probably would be a completely different guy if my whole ambition in life was to be a, a concert pianist. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, picking up the guitar, becoming obsessed with rock bands and, and folk music um, took me on the, the right tangent. And like it took me on a whole new like avenue that I wanted to be in. Right. And it was actually, But you didn't know you wanted to be in. No. It. That's the beauty. That, I hated rock yeah. music as a kid. So you were a pretentious little fuck, huh? I was. Yeah. I was so all, you're like it's all about Chopin. Fuck that rock. I was oh. obsessed with Chopin. Yeah. Chopin's obsessed. pretty fucking great. The ballad, what's the the polo, uh, is it the bon, ballad in G major? I think so. The, yeah. that he wrote about Poland. Right. Uh, I, there's one particular piece by him that yeah. I can never remember. No, I know what you mean actually. I'm trying to Oh god, I used to, I would have been able to tell you this like yeah. that like, well and he's the etudes I the mean, etudes are where i stopped fucking amazing that's when the car accident happened really i started with it that was i was just on the tip of getting into the etudes and yeah. then then boom yeah so it was like it was just one of those things where you know and i was studying with a uh, jazz pian uh, a jazz and uh, classical p- uh, piano pianist named george essihaus and he's this greek very interesting very like awkward but really cool like old greek guy who would sit with two grand pianos side by side and you would play together and that's how he taught he he, wow. he believed in playing t- together so so um, you got his timing and, and yeah all that. learned about right. timing and he and and you know he he was sort of anti-conservatory uh, which to people that don't know the con- like he wasn't anti-conservatory but he kind of believed that people need to take their own pathway in music and that it's not always the best approach to just immerse children and adults or anybody that wants to be into music in this sort of boring TikTok, make it perfect way. He he says sometimes you'll that that'll come. You just got to find the heart and the passion. Mm. And he's one of my biggest inspirations. You know, if George Essihaus is out there, I remember you. <laughs> but yeah. um, but anyways, yeah. And then so that's how it all ended up happening. And I just picked up the guitar and and I started to get over myself and uh, you know started playing music. And what was George you know, doing in that little part of? Vancouver well, Island. He basically, like, there's an area of, called o- o- Oak Bay. Have you heard of that area mm, in Victoria? I've driven all the way up the island. Well, all the way up. I, I drove up. I've been to Tofino. I've been down to Victoria. And then we went up to visit Andrew Weil on Cortez Island. Oh, cool. So we've gone over to whatever the first island. I don't remember the. I think uh, the, Salt, well, there's, Salt there's Spring. Salt Spring, right? Well, That's Salt Spring's right down south, yes, though, right? The, yeah, Cortez is right up. Yeah, yeah. Cortez is up. Uh, Quadra? Oh, Quadra Island. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. That's right. So that's right. as far north as I've been. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, George, he's he's hard guy to read. I mean, he was such a... He was such a profound musician. I mean, piano player. When you watched him play, it didn't matter who you were. You could be a t- like some asshole teenager who doesn't give a shit all the way to, you know, someone who's a huge fan of his and just with your mouth gaping open in awe because yeah. his eyeballs just like they squint and his hands like 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 fleshy spiders dancing on the keys and you're just mm. like wow like this man is it is music you know mm. and 
And so, you know, he just decided to just like he wanted to make teach kids and adults how to find the music in you. And um, he just did it out of his little studio apartment or his little studio in Oak Bay. And this massive, amazing talent is, you know, instead of, you know, going off to be the next big thing, he's sharing it with anyone that comes into contact with him. It's amazing, it, you know, and you blows my mind. Yeah, the the hidden talents that are just all over the place. You and know, you just never waiting. know. Yeah. Even some people that are, you know, busking in the streets. Yeah, you're like, um, why are you not on tour with Wilco right now? Right. Or why are you not? <laughs> Wilco. You know, yeah, you know, like because like if you go to Victoria, like or probably here in Portland too, like a lot of like folk singers in the streets and just like you hear them and you're like, wow, you're amazing. Like you could yeah. be doing something really massive right now. Yeah. So kind of funny that way but but anyways yeah that's kind of how i came to to this point in, in a short you know so I, just, I don't know if it's too personal to talk about no, but yeah, why, why were you living with your grandmother my um, um when i was a little boy um my parents divorced and my mother and my father had a really unfortunate um just didn't care for one another and i think they both needed to sort of step away Mm. take a break they're really young i mean my mom had me when she was like 20 19 20 mm. and my dad he was a young crazy irish guy and he just he, i don't even know much about him but he was just this young crazy irish guy and 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 the two of them just it just it was too much so um we my grandma stepped in and said hey you know what i'll take these kids and and uh oh you have siblings yeah i got a i've got a sister named alicia who's a year younger than me yeah. and so her and i you know, dirty faced because we were living with our dad at the very last bit and uh, dirty faces and just like dirty clothes. And he brings us to we were living in East Van. So it wasn't a, a great place to be. And, uh, you know, we moved out and dropped us off in Machosan and said, can you can you take these kids? My grandma said, yeah. Right, How old were you? Kid. I was about my sister was three and I think I was four, mm. three or four about that age. So I was so young. Yeah. And then my dad, he was, he was the typical, you know, sad story of the father comes a couple times to brings you treats and goodies and toys. And then one day just supposed to come and little boy sitting on the stairs waiting and never shows up. And then I, and then I never saw him again and never heard from him again. And, um, but my mother and I, we have a great relationship and my mom is very much a part of my life and mm. a huge supporter of everything I do. And we have a great relationship now, That's great. but as of my father, I don't know. I don't know what that crazy, as I, I refer to him as the crazy Irishman because he's just this, from what I've heard, he's just this lunatic. So. Was he actually Irish passport or Irish Canadian? I think, I, you know, I'd like to, I wish I knew the answer. Oh. Well. I actually, throughout my life, would make up stories about him to people. Uh, right. So, you know, because it, it felt better to have a like a story about him than it yeah. would be to so that can change maybe he has an irish passport or maybe he doesn't mm-hmm. i mean i've heard different varying accounts of things so yeah. wh- whatever how irish i mean his last name was geary and my i've changed mine to crevero but i used to be colin geary and um his name is the same so that's uh-huh. yeah and he got in some trouble um here in canada and i think he may have even gone to jail for a while mm. and um so I had to take and drop my name. So I took on my uh, stepfather, a Portuguese guy. Yeah, I was going to say, that yeah. sounds Portuguese. It is. Yeah. So it's kind of weird to call him Crevero. But when you look at me, you and I look more alike than, than any yeah. kind of Portuguese person around. So yeah. Yeah. it's pretty funny. But yeah, no. And then, like I said, you know, you, you, you take that... 
like we were saying earlier with just like having those experiences of, of, of just shit. Um, but they really give you, like, I like to think of hard times as like a new color to add to your collection of colors for painting. Yeah. Your palette. You know? Yeah. You add to your palette yeah. with, with an experience. Right. Yeah. So, that sounds like your grandmother was pretty cool. And she was awesome. She sort of read you right in she terms did. of this kid needs music lessons. <laughs> she did. And she, she also uh, hooked you up with a great teacher. She did, actually. It, it actually was what was her that got me in touch with uh, George. And, uh, no, she's definitely... Um, it was interesting because I was raised with her as a... Like, she's a Baptist, a very serious mm. Christian. And, um, you know, I did the whole Christianity thing as a boy. And, um, God, that that was a really rough go because as a kid with anxiety and fear and everything, you, you go, you're told that there's ghosts everywhere and angels and God and, and being watched. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. So I'd be laying in my bed and my grandma would come and say, all right, well, I'll pray that 12 angels stand around your bed. Jesus hovers <laughs> above you and, and, and you don't and, die. And then, and I'm thinking to myself, like the minute she'd close the door and it's dark and I'm looking around like 12 angels, a God and a Jesus. What the fuck? Like I, I guess was, I better not jerk off. No. Well then that came yeah. <laughs> and then I started feeling really bad, yeah. but, um, no, and so it's funny, like when you're a kid and, and then you're immersed in religion, um, sometimes that can be even more terrifying than any scary movie or story. To me, like Freddy Krueger wasn't shit. Yeah. There was a demon named Lucifer running around my house <laughs> looking to <laughs> tell me to rub my cock. I mean, it was just like, it was uh, weird, you know? Yeah, so Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I mean, but wow. aside from the religion though, like she was still like such a super beautifully wonderful woman so mm. between her and my aunt kind of moved into and gave a hand and she had a kid and yeah we were a very very interesting family for a long time and this was on a farm yeah it was a small farm in Machosan. Yeah. like a working it animal was. farm it yeah. was i was sort of at the tail end my grandma she wanted to be like a she wanted to do some farming and go to college before we came along mm. and um you know kind of live off the Machosan land a bit was she a hi- well she wasn't a hippie she, she was, like was a, a bad she was a Baptist, but she's always been kind of a hipster. She was huh. a, into the beat scene when she was a young woman. Really? She wasn't a Christian as a young woman, I don't think too early. And she was like, she smoked cigarettes with in, in the cigarette holder. And like, she wore the black and had the black sunglasses inside. And like, <laughs> she was very hipster beat. And then wow. sort of got married, had kids. And then her whole way of thinking kind of went into religion I, and I'm not sure why but wow. yeah and so basically yeah and so you know when when we were when I was a kid living in Machosan with her it was just like you know she she just wanted us to 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 get the most out of life you know and um and that's even like my mother today like my 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 real mother she um she's the same way for me now you know like she's been so supportive with my music and my mom was like a rocker when I was a boy. Like when I started to like get a relationship with my mom at a young age, she was a rocker. So she'd come and pick me up from school in like chains and black leather. And she's younger than most of the parents. And, you know, she'd pick me up and smoking in the car, like, get in here, let's go. You know what I mean? And it was just like this 
sort of interesting dynamic of going into a Christian farm time and yeah. meeting my mom and then they'd have these house parties at night with like ro- Lankford rockers and just like all these... At the farm? No, no, like she'd pick me up from the farm to have time with oh, me Oh, take house. you to the parties. Yeah, and then I'd be immersed in these parties. So you're going from like 12 angels around your bed to like hanging with the pretenders or something. Exactly. Yeah. And like, or, or like Metallica or like that whole <laughs> thing, right? Like laying in bed at 11.30 as a kid and you, the music is still on 10 yeah. and they're like and then sometimes the drunk friends would like there sometimes get so many people at these parties that I'd be like laying in bed and then suddenly my door would w- burst open with two people like making out and, like it's <laughs> just looking for so into it and then all of a sudden they'd look over and be like oh shit man there's a baby in the bed <laughs> and they'd be like sorry little guy yeah. and then they'd leave right one guy even asked me to leave and I was like but I'm sleeping this <laughs> hey, is my dude, room can I fuck this chick in your bed <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I get Did in there and I'm like, like it's all weird in here <laughs> it smells funny but yeah it was <laughs> oh, man. but uh no but anyways as as I've just sort of diarrheaed out in the last 10 minutes it's it's been a very interesting uh uh sort of life so to speak and yeah. and, and i get every minute of it is why i'm a musician you know? <laughs> <laughs> every minute of it and i never became yeah. a musician for anyone else but myself yeah i never intended to even play for people it was just i was always so embarrassed to play my songs for people because mm. the lyrics were always really personal and weird and were you embarrassed about playing piano um you know what I was. Um, I just like to study it by myself and play. I did one day want to play live for people, mm. but um, I was always asked by everyone to play. And every time it would be like an argument. Like they'd say, oh, please play. Please come and play here. Come and play there. Mm. Even George Essihaus, he wanted me to do these shows. And the problem is, is, you know, when I get really nervous and anxious, my, bl- my, my brain blanks. And um, I was actually scared today I'd have that blanking moment. Um, and so, hey, I can always pause if you blank. Thank man. you. Man. I do it for myself all the time. Oh, thank you. I feel so <laughs> much better. <laughs> but I uh, blanked. Uh, so I, I, I got asked by George one time, quickly on a tangent. Um, George asked me to play this really big sold out event with him and a bunch of other artists. And I'd been writing my own music on the piano and I was really at the peak of my life. And um, I started smoking a lot of pot at the time, drinking, girls, friends. So practice wasn't happening quite as much. And so I didn't practice. the. And the some of them were Chopin bits, some of the pieces. And some of them were like some really serious. Like I did a waltz, Chopin waltz, some Bach. We did some different things. And so I get there smelling like weed. I'd probably had like three hours of sleep. And it's my turn to go on stage. And I get on stage and I sit down and I'm looking and it's, this is in the conservatory of music and I start playing. I'm like, and I stop and I look at everyone and I'm like, oh shit. And I'm like, okay, just, that's, that's not a big deal. And then as I kept trying and trying, it got worse and worse. Oh boy. I couldn't play any of the songs. So I stood up. I walked to the edge of the stage and I said, guys, I'm really sorry. I'm so nervous. I don't remember anything. George is staring at me like I could see spittles of of saliva dripping down his face in horror. My grandma's eyes, she's looking away kind of at her Bible. (laughs) And I'm just kind of like, oh, God. And so finally I turned around and I didn't play any of the etudes, didn't play any of the Bach because your name and what you're playing is on the thing. And I just made up music on the spot for 
15 minutes. And I literally didn't know what I was playing, didn't have any clue. I knew I liked triads in the sea. I liked all kinds of notes. And I literally just kept looking at the crowd and I'd play a song for what I thought was three to five minutes, stop and look at people and be like, that's one. <laughs> and then I'd be like, fuck, I'm another song. So then i do it. And then finally I got up and I said, that's it, guys. And then they're all looking at their things like, oh, I don't know what he's playing, but all right then. And uh, I ran out the door and left, got into... Uh, my grandma, I could see her standing up by the time I'm getting off stage. How old were you? I was about 15 or 16. And so... Was there any applause when you finished? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? They actually... It was funny because when I, I, I ran out, my grandma and all them coaxed me to come back in and talk to George and apologize for everything. So I came back in and as I walk in, there's all these people t- standing and talking because and, I was near the end and um, I sat in the car for a good... for the rest of the show and then my gra- they all pulled me back in and... And I remember walking in and all these people came up to me saying, man, I don't know. I know that wasn't what you were supposed to play, but you really did some really interesting stuff. And so it was weird because I was more comfortable playing my own shit instead of playing, you know, the the stuff I was supposed to play. And as I would walk by, oh, that was great. Oh, nice job. And I'm just sort of walking like, are you fucking serious? I just made up some bullshit on the spot in front of you guys to, you know, appease the masses. And here you're all enjoying it. And you're I, getting congratulated on your walk of shame. That's right. <laughs> and I, instead of tomatoes and cheesies and popcorn, it was just compliments. Wow. You know, people were hurling compliments at me instead. Maybe it's a Canadian thing, but they felt sorry for me. And, 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 but, and I get up to George and I'm like, George, I don't know what happened. And he's just like, you know what, Colin? Anybody that can stay on stage and, and, and figure out something else should be a musician. And that was kind of a, a, wow. a huge moment for me. And that was actually sort of the, one of the beginning starts of my, uh, just my own music. I never do covers. What a fantastic story, man. It, it, it was really, it, it, it haunted me forever. It, it ruined a lot of abilities for me to to play things perfectly for people without having my own touch on things. But it really affected me. It was a really hard but good, and like we talked again, trudging through the shit, come out of the end of it with a whole new perspective. And again, you know, my now I'm sitting here with you and I'm doing my own shit, and I think I attribute that hugely to that experience for sure. And what a cool, I mean, you were so lucky to be surrounded by... um, like really wise adults. Mm-hmm. I mean, first your grandmother, like she yeah. could have just been like, fuck it. We're going home. Yeah. You can deal with this. Talk to George next week. Yeah. Instead of no, go mm-hmm. in there now. Go talk, you to know, him. Yeah. which forced you yeah. into something you didn't want to do, no. but then led to all these people congratulating you, yeah. which was like, well, what the fuck is that? Yeah. And then you like reach the end of the tunnel of shame and George says, hey, actually, that was pretty, you know, amazing in its own way. You know, it wasn't what we were expecting, but there's a lot of value in that. I mean, that, yeah, that really fell together beautifully. And, and you know what, I, I'm, I'm so glad that, um, it it took me a lot of years to get over that. Actually, I, I was certain I'd never touch another instrument after that again. Um, even though, so you didn't walk away from that feeling good. You, no. you didn't see the, the, the validation. In not, it. not at that point either. I was too young and immature or I was just so horrified by the moment that I, I walked away with that being an actual horrible experience in my mind for a good five to 10 years after that. Really? Happened. I say 10 years. 
and then 25 years when I'm 25 and and I'm deciding to do start a band um that haunted me a lot whenever I'd start going on stage you know I used to write songs I'd want to be in a band and be you know when I when Man Made Lake started I wanted to be I wanted to play in a band in front of people so I'd take my guitar my book I'd kiss my wife and say I'm going to go down to the closest open mic and I'll try it and I'd get down there I'd bring my guitar in put my name on the list I'd sit down and I'd watch a few acts and then they'd call my name and I would freeze and I wouldn't be able to get up there and they'd call my name again call my name again and I'm holding my beer I'm looking at the stage I'm shaking and I get up and once I didn't even pay for my beer I ran out jumped in my car and left and I couldn't do it and I used to do that all the time I'd look up open mics in the city go to them not play them leave go to them not play them leave bring my whole practice it all week the whole thing and then that's why um and then joining man or starting man made lake with some of my close friends gave me the courage to start doing it all again and getting in front of people which is really hard you mm. know because like i don't know that moment really fucked me up but now when we talk about it and the reflection it was one of the most important moments of my life and um now if, if you ever see a man-made lake show which i hope one day you get to um we're we're insane like when we play live, it's it's a it's a thing. It's it's not just a band standing there singing songs. I'm rolling around on stage. Last week or last show, I jumped into the drum kits and like we just like we're not even punk rock music. You heard those songs, like you know, like, <laughs> so you're, you're strumming along. Yeah, like, I'm a simple man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like let them all down, and then but but like it, it's funny. Like we we just the energy vamps up uh, live. Wow. And we have all like Man Made Lake has all these different styles of of, of music. So. You know, like we just go insane and we just have these like crazy, amazing experiences. So because of Man Made Lake, I've been able to really put myself out there and, um, um, uh, you know, play in front of people again. And it's only been the last, I'd say, set six, six, five, six years huh. that I've been able to do that. What an interesting dynamic, man, you know, that you're... I mean, it, when you were talking, I was thinking of, the, you know, there were some similarities with stories I've heard from comics who, mm -hmm. you know, start out. They always suck when they start out. They're always yeah. terrified. They always bomb. Yeah. But they see it as like that's part of the process. You got to yeah. bomb 50 times yeah. before you're going to hit, you know. Yeah. But with you, it seems like and, and they're always anxious. They're oh, always yeah. afraid they're going to bomb. They're always expecting disaster. Yep. But with you, like you kept knocking on the door that you had. Like that, you were terrified would open. Yeah, but then you kept knocking. Yeah, like, I know. Like, what the fuck is going as on with you, would, man? It, as soon as it is true, and and, <laughs> and and as soon as it would open, there'd be like this opportunity, like hello, and I'd be like, you could just see me running away, <laughs> and then I'd stop and I'd go, stupid, 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 and then I'd turn around and come back and I'd try uh, to do it again, oh, and shit. and um, but you know, I I gotta be, be honest. My band, Man Made Lake, are more than just a band. They're like a family. Like yeah. They know me so well. Right. They know how weird and crazy and, and out there I am that, like, before a show, I'm not mingling. I'm hiding. Like, I'm still terrified to, 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 to play. But right. before a show, I'm hiding, drinking my, like, beer and, and, and hard alcohol and whatever can get my brain around it. I, I, I don't get wasted, but I just, like, I have some drinks to loosen up the nerves. And I got my guitar in there, and I'm just playing. And then... They'll, one of the band members, right before we get on stage, they, they all come back and we do an ohm together. Mm. Because ohming, we create a vibration that's mm -hmm. 
the same. So we're right. tuning our bodies yeah. together. Yeah. And then we walk out and play. And then I'm an, I'm good. I'm good. Um, and you're the front man? I'm the front man. I'm the lead singer Fuck. and songwriter of Man. That's a Lake. hell of a place to be for a guy who gets so so much anxiety around oh, I, I always joke that my life is 20% anxiety, 40% shit, <laughs> and then the rest is up for interpretation. So, like, you know, I'm always so, like, I'm always nervous, always anxious, and so... But once you get rolling, are you in a zone and yes. you forget it? That's, it's why I do music. So I, that's the release, yeah. It's, it's like a pill that only lasts for a set, Yeah, you know, for the length of your set with your band. And um, so... That's you why know, music's important. I, I, I always say, I, you know, like my best buddy growing up was a musician and, mm. and he used to play Chopin and, you yeah. know, his own stuff. And then he got in a band. He played, you know, like you, he played multiple instruments and, mm. um, and just hanging out with him and the other musicians. I always felt like that. If I live again, mm. I, I want to be a musician because yeah. I love altered states of consciousness, right? Absolutely. You know, my Same here. drug experiences and right. meditating and floating and even sex and, you know, oh, God, all, yeah. all these things are about getting out of the thinking, anxious mind. Right. And I always envied musicians so much the that those moments of just being like the way you describe being tuned in with other people you're in a band yeah. you're all you're in a in a groove the audience is in the groove they're digging what you're doing you you can see their enjoyment you're yeah. you're it's a cycle and a flow and you're all in this thing and it's just fucking transcendental it's amazing yeah. it, it really is but the price you're paying for that <laughs> years off my life <laughs> i wouldn't pay that i wouldn't even like do guitar lessons for you know 10 weeks or whatever it took to get over the hump yeah. Yeah. I but, mean, yeah. It, it, I never had enough anxiety. Mm. I mean, this is like a curse, you know, like mm. for you, you can see it's a curse and a blessing. It and is. for me, the absence of that is right. a curse and a blessing because I never felt like, you know, like whatever. A lot, of, a lot of guys are like, yeah, I got into music so I could get girls. Yeah. I always felt like, yeah, I, got, I won't get as many girls, but right. I'll, I'll, I'll be able to connect with a few. Right. right? I right. don't need to do fucking. And I yeah. remember him like, yeah, no, I can't hang. I got to go do piano lessons and I got to do, you know, yeah. there was always shit Something he had to do. to do. He had to practice. He had to do. Yeah. And I was off fucking around having fun, you know. Right. And so it's it's weird. There's always a price for these things. Yeah, and it, like you can you didn't you couldn't have said it better. It, there's always a price for these things, you know. Yeah. And I feel like um, one thing though is my anxiety, my 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 issues have definitely definitely gotten a lot better because of this journey. Yeah. Well, you know? you're working on your shit through yeah, your music. That's obviously. Right. Yeah. There, there, there's. I, I've done the therapy. They tried to put me on SSRIs two years ago. Um, they've they've tried to take you know pump me with medication and um, and and t take me to all these different counselors and stuff. And I just can't. I can't connect with anyone. And the pills turn me into a fucking. Fuck. Ugh, I hate them. Yeah. I hate the pills. Yeah. They, like, none of them I, I like. Like, I like to do... All, I'm also really into altered states. Like, I, I enjoy, like, mushrooms and, and, and marijuana and, and whatever. But um, I just can't get into these pharmaceutical drugs that you have to take on a daily basis and then expect to feel like yourself. Like, as much as, like, I'm anxious and I'm nervous and it's really uncomfortable, SSRIs... 
they they numb something and they they take away something and 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 I think that there's a real yearning for yourself like it's like imagine this I feel on an SSRI like a kid holding a balloon that that is in the air the balloon is you for real but the kid is is what you've become because you're holding on to something that is you but from a distance mm. and you can see it fluttering in the in, in the sunlight but you can't quite grasp it mm. it's there in your hand but it's not in you it's not you yeah. and that's that's what i equate ssris and i'm not saying this for like a lot of people may need them like i understand yeah. like they're not the, they're not the worst thing in the world but for me nah nah i yeah. i can't write music very well on them I'm, i can't be myself it's painful you know well people think that they you know they're marketed as something that antidepressants right they take mm -hmm. away the bottom yeah but they take away the top too that's so true and they just narrow the range you're you know? just plain jane sort of hey man don't give a shit about no. anything no and it's one or the other and it's yeah. also like you try to talk to a lot of the the counselors today about you know how much of an artist you are how you like to try things experience things and there's always this like should you be doing this should you be doing that should you be you know like it's almost like the idea of of, of testing life is looked down upon because it's not safe enough and there's like a safety net that is required um, to sort of stand within or else they're not really interested in treating you half the time. You know, like mm -hmm. the last time that I had to get some help at, at, at the hospital, they said to me, they're like, if you falter this, then we can't, we're not going to help you. And that's it. And you got that fal faltering. It is not taking the medication, not showing up to everything and um, following their personal prescribed views even though they've only known you for two months yeah. you know what i mean so yeah. i felt like you're buying a new personal like you're buying a new soul mm. you're, you're you're taking out your old soul and you're putting something new when all you really want is someone to give you a fucking hug tell you it's okay and you're a good person even though you may have had some hard times and let's let's look at what's best for you and I think that there's too much of a like, like a, like a paradigm we have to fall into. Like there's too much of a, like a box that we need to fit into. And yeah. I think that box can be really uncomfortable for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, so, definitely. You know, there goes my doom and gloom. <laughs> we, as our, <laughs> we were being uh, invaded by a, what is a flock of ducks? I think, or is it a, like I know it's a gander of geese. Oh, gander, and, yeah. And, and then there's a flock, probably a flock of ducks. I know that for robins, there's a worm of robins. Is that what it is? A worm? A murder of crows. Yeah, I liked your, your murder of crow reference. And then an unkindness of ravens. An unkindness of ravens. That's yeah. hilarious. I love looking those things up. An unkindness of ravens. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. It's, it, my theory on that is a lot of ravens are very, um, they're not as, like, they're not like crows. They don't, they, they're pretty, they're pretty keep to themselves a lot unless they're mating so i think that if you see more than one raven ra ra raven raven together um i think that maybe it's either they're mating or there's an issue so there's an unkindness exchange between the two of them so that's my theory as to why they call them an unkindness of ravens you know? uh, but i'm probably way off I, I can't even tell the difference between crows and ravens honestly i think the main difference is that obviously their ravens are way bigger but um yeah. ravens they make these like when you see a raven you're like that looks like an eagle painted all like dark blue and black like uh, they're giant they're that big they're, uh, well the ones that where i live out in in, in, in on vancouver island 
are are massive mm. and they look like i'm not sure if crows and ravens are raptors but they seem like they would be and i think that ravens for sure seem like raptors like they they have a very you know kind of sort of raptor dynamic you know because mm. they and they're the, the the sounds that ravens make are just oh incredible mm. sometimes you're like what the fuck was that and then you see this giant raven you know creating a shadow in the light you know yeah but no, you ever seen uh, bald eagles in mating season? I think so. Well, I've seen millions of them in yeah. mating season. I have spring. They chase each other around in the trees and they make yeah. these weird little chicken sounds. That's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's really strange. Like I'm lucky where I live because ravens and bald eagles and all that stuff get to you know be part of my almost daily life. They're up there. Yeah, yeah. cool. Hey, do you want to do another song? Sure. I, 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 now, I'd love to. now that I know how anxious it makes you, I, I, I'm kind <laughs> no. of worried You're about like, it. Hey, why don't you hurt yourself some more? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'd what, love to. What do you want to play? Um, actually, I was going to play a, uh, a Man Made Lake song called Girly Ribbons. And um, yeah, and I'm going to play it on my 12 string if that's okay. Sure. I, I brought another guitar. All right, I'll pause and then we'll start up again after a sound check. Great. They lifeless Bleeding knees One day dry Why am I Oh so fucking tired Sometimes think that baby I know I'm gonna die On that ground with my shovel Money never seems so far Caught pissing on them walls Shaped like butterflies Cause my dirty nails are wrapped in Wrapped in girly ribbons Comes your hero, but he got hit by a plane. Like the time you blew out all the candles, and your hair went up in flames. Take the nine, we'll be here in an hour, and the old mole will soon be broken. Let's get high and face all the shadows They know you but don't know them Don't know them Don't know them Eczema. 
Paranoid patrons paying gold Visualize your future with no Jesus It's easy when you're feeling like you're never getting old Here comes your hero But he got hit by the plane Like the time blew out all the candles And your hair went up in flames Take the nine, we'll be here in an hour And the old mall soon be broken Let's get high and face all the shadows They know you, don't know them Don't know them Don't know them Here comes a hero But he got hit by your plane Like the time you blew out all the candles And your hair went up in flames I, you know, you just played... Um Silver Locket and one of my favorite songs that you of the recent months uh, something you sent me a while ago Lonely Are the Brave mm-hmm. and I wanted to end with Lonely Are the Brave because the song's just so fucking moving thanks Thank um, but but I also want to talk to you about it sure. about the song because there, there's stories going on there who's Anna who's Kevin what yeah. who's bleeding on the floor yeah um, well this kind of, the idea of Lonely Are the Brave was, um, I'd been doing a lot of reading and reading about passion mm. and where it can lead you and, um, how some pe- some of the most, you know, normal seeming regular people get high on love or obsession, even better word, maybe they turn into this entity that does not portray one's own true nature and they become like a demon and um i've had friends i've known people even myself acted like a complete moron in love and um there is a story about there's a few stories that i've read and heard about um of different people reacting in the most disturbing this most tragic most destructive ways because of a person mm. that 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 intercepts in your life right so kevin wasn't really necessarily a specific person but he embodied the desire or a lot of men i find and men that i friends of mine that i've known when we're young and we get into relationships there's sometimes a sense of possessiveness they become very possessive they don't want her going anywhere they don't want her hanging out with the same or the opposite sex they don't want her to be so he gets like crazy and through his own you know ideas of um 
of what love's meant to be and supposed to be, you know, he's looking at his parents and they're together, they're living together, they're, 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 they're a family. So the minute he becomes a family with somebody or, or sorry, in a relationship with somebody, he thinks it's supposed to be that way. And when she's just trying to test his waters, get to know him, he starts to go crazy. Yeah. And, and I think like the minute that she wants distance or the minute that she doesn't want to play love anymore, she just wants to be a friend. She just wants to be, you know, whoever he becomes this lunatic this crazy guy and 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 you know with the idea of kevin he was also you know had his own problems you know like in the first lines that i'm talking about i'm basically saying that he's already got issues like he's already you know not comfortable with himself as a person so the minute he falls in love she bears the weight of his insanity and when i describe the line she's bleeding on the floor well, that's because in my in the narrative, the story of that, he's beaten her. He's beaten her because she, or like not necessarily beaten her, but he he abused her. Mm. Be, and it maybe the blood isn't physical. Maybe it's it's me, me, it's metaphorical. But he's left her on the floor because he's been so overwhelmingly angry at the fact that she doesn't want to fit in his in his own mental world that he discards her like some kind of piece of trash, mm. and then. I did it on the flip side with with Anna. She was um, same idea that she's not a specific person that I know, but she embodies um, some girls I've heard about, some even a few girls I've dated throughout the years. Where the minute you become one, or you say you are, they expect this new person to sort of come out of the woodwork, and 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 this goes both ways that's why in the song i tried to balance it i i i didn't want to just say it's a girl thing or a guy thing because yeah. it's both ways yeah and um and so anna kind of was the representation of that aspect where you know she wanted um you know she wanted that 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 sense of you she wanted to possess you like she couldn't just enjoy the rose bush she wanted to cut you off of it and she wanted to put you in water and keep you alive as long as she can and and i think you know when i in, in the line you know tore off my shirt because she's scary i described a relationship i was in with a girl where the minute sex or passion happened she just turned into this like like i think now she's probably doing really like she's probably you know into some really interesting shit i now that i think about it but when i was like you know 16 17 younger you know she just like sort of or i'm not I can't remember my age but i remember she just ripped off my shirt and was just grabbed me right in the in the balls in the dick and said, just started go like going and i was just like man and then i remember like it only went crazier from there like she just she she didn't like it when i was even hanging out with my friends mm. didn't want me out you know wanted me to stay you know in this own you know in my own world like in our world together right and it got into this really it became a very destructive terrible personality where she even threatened to kill herself and so you know as you know as a young man that the line she's bleeding on the floor kind of is where i got the idea yeah because in the end of it she she made herself a victim you know oh, right. over love right and i think that right so that's kind of the idea of the song it's it's just you're 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 chasing uh, this fantasy of love i believe in love but i don't think love is what we think it is all right take it away 
Let them all down Let them all feel as if they're lonely Anna was hurt Tore off my shirt Because she's scary She said you try to run away Try to move away You know I'll miss you She said you try to run away Try to move away You know I'll haunt you She's bleeding on the floor In Sex at Dawn, we talk about um, that Sting song. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Uh, oh, God, of course. Yeah, um, Tip of my tongue here. Every, every breath you take. Right, yeah. right, right. And right. how people confuse, you know, obsession. And like he said, he wrote it about like an Orwellian state, right. you know, obs- you know, the, yeah. the, the security state. And people are like, oh, what a great love song. Like, Ugh. what the fuck are you talking about? It's not. Yeah. So why is it called Lonely Are the Brave then? Okay. Who, who's brave in that story? <laughs> it's actually... The this is people who refuse to engage in that shit? Well, you know what? What it actually... 
it I wish the title had a really amazing sort of deep <laughs> introspective or retros- whatever the term is. Yeah. But actually Lonely Are the Brave was um a name that my drummer came up with. Um Morgan. He um he came up with the name Lonely Are the Brave because it was I think either a name of an album or a song or um I can't remember it was either the name of the album or a song that he really loved that he had and he felt like the 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 song that the actual song that we're doing uh he felt like reminded me of, reminded him of that mm. and so um it was just really he just really liked it and it, and he felt like it fit with that and I thought you know what man lonely are the brave and I think like where it could perhaps sort of you know relate to that is you know sometimes we have to be let ourselves become lonely to become brave. Yeah. So the idea of if you're in a relationship with someone that you know isn't working or it's they're because they're abusing you or you're feeling like, you know, even you're becoming verbally abusive or you can see that what you are is not who you are because you're in this unfortunate relationship, I think that that's where the name could definitely fit in is that I think it takes bravery to walk away from something that is ultimately going to be destructive or is destructive at the same time. I think we hold on to relationships sometimes because we're comfortable or because it feels, you know, like it's easier. You're, you know, sharing a lease together. You have a car or maybe even you have a child. And and look, I'm all for children having you know two parents and all that stuff but we're in a strange time today where you know we don't always get what we want and we don't have the ideal you know family so i going back to all that i i really believe that you know that line works for that because i think it does take extreme bravery to uh, break away from something that you're you've almost grown like intertwined yourself with you know yeah. you know like i'm a landscaper by trade as a worker and i'm constantly removing weeds from gardens and i can't help but feel like it's always a metaphor for all of our lives we're always having to weed our own gardens and if we don't the garden just looks like a fucked up mess <laughs> and you know what i think we all got to do a little gardening sometime and we got to spread some shit too we do yeah. we got to spread that mulchy shit mulchy shit around you know? yeah so yeah that's kind of where it all came down so do you yeah. write, do you write all the songs for the band? I uh, about ninety nine about ninety eight percent of them I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. No, ninety no ninety eight ninety eight percent of the songs. There have been two out of the. Last well, time. you know what happens is this: I come up with a how we describe it best is I my, my uh, guitar player Steve, hey Steve, um, he. Shoutouts are so lame. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no. He, he, um, hey, Steve. Hey, Steve. Um, he, <laughs> now I'm getting all giddy and lame. Um, but he, um, he, he came up with it really well. He said, it's like you bring a skeleton, and then we're sitting there with the flesh, the right. blood, the skin, the right. hair, the eyeballs, and the clothing. Right. And I think every band member... Right now in Man Made Lake, there's six of us. Mm. And so everybody brings such an important, vital organ or piece of clothing. So who, uh, name name the people yeah. and what they play. All right. Yeah. Um, so, let's, do, let's do the shout-out shit right. All right. So firstly, is I'm going to give a shout-out to my dear friend and brother, Nate, Nathan Bailey. Um, he and I have been um, um, uh, partners in crime with this music since like high school. We, we met in high school. Oh, really? And he knew me during the height of my piano days. 
And um, we didn't really want to hang out in the smoke pit with everyone else and waste time or, you know, we didn't really want to hang out with everyone doing the same. So what we would do is we'd go and get baked and then we'd go to, to the, the music room during lunch hour because no one was in there and we would just take turns playing piano. And so our bond started there. We would take art classes together and just go and take photos, play music. And then... Did he have cat whiskers on his face too? You know what? He would have. He would have. He would have actually worn cat whiskers to school just to make me feel better. Oh, what a sweet he's guy. He's a sweet man, I tell you what. And so anyways, long story short, that's he's the keyboard player. He's the piano player. Um, he kept up with it. He's had different roles. He was our drummer in the beginning. And then when he moved to China with me to start Man-Made Lake, which is where Man-Made Lake began. What? Yeah. We're going to have another fucking hour in this podcast now? What to... is this move to China? <laughs> I never heard about this. Yeah, we started uh, the band properly in China together. Me and really? Nate. Yeah, we, we, we moved to China. Um, uh, my wife got a job as a teacher. So when I moved to China, Nate and I were kind of working on trying to become a band. And we weren't, we never played a show or anything. We moved to China. And um, brought another friend of ours who could play all right guitar. Actually, he's a great guitar player. And um, we formed it out there. And um, we wow. lived there for a whole year, touring China, playing all over the country. Um, not too crazy. Like, we didn't go all the way up to the top and the bottom, but we played all through different provinces and, and um, got quite a following out there. And uh, yeah, it was a really shout amazing out to tour. China. Shout out to China, baby! <laughs> it's another world out there. Wow, China! Yeah. yeah, I didn't know. I'm imagining you in like this little town, and then you go to Victoria, and yeah. you know, uh, and the drive people. down to Portland's a big trip for you. And now suddenly was. you're in China for a year. What yeah. the fuck? Man? It was two in total, but um, I was just there the two. first one uh, with my with my wife and I. And, and that's because your wife got a gig there. Yeah, she was a she's she's a teacher. Uh huh. So she got a she she got a job in China the first year. I just I moved with her, and I also got a job as a teacher. Uh, I just took teaching English. Yeah, and, and then you like write to Nate like, hey, dude, come on out. It's great. Well, what happened was the first year I left. He didn't come with me. No one did. It was just Lisa and I. I came back for a couple years, and Nate and I started jamming again and reconnecting after coming back from the first year. And then um, uh, Lisa got another great opportunity to go back a couple years later. And so I'm like, hey, Nate, I know we've sort of started a band, but um, I'm going to go to China. And he's just like, oh, God. He's like, dude, we just started this band. You've got to come. He's like, I, I'm, he's like, I'm coming with you. And I'm like, you fucking kidding. You're coming with me. I'm like, all right. So wow. I, I got him a job at the same school that I worked That's at. That's fantastic. And we moved to China together, and we met one of the most influential punk rockers in China named Wu Wei. And he was the leader of a band called SMZB. And they are probably one of the biggest punk rock bands ever to come out of China. He's from Wuhan, where we were living, in the middle, kind of around the middle of China. And he basically took us in, got, helped us buy instruments, helped us get equipment, signed us on his record label, um, and got us a drummer who didn't speak English, no English whatsoever. <laughs> and so we would just Hilarious. like, so we had to learn Chinese just to communicate. We got a bass player named Cole Wadley, wonderful guy. He's unfortunately not in the band anymore, but... Um, Westerner or uh, Chinese? He, he was from California, so uh -huh. he was American. And he was already there teaching or something? He, he came the same year we did. We right. just so happened to just like, when, we, when, they, when they lined us up in front of the whole school, it was, you know, as if we were going to get, you know, shot or something. But we're all standing there in a line in front of this thousands of children with these little red handkerchiefs around their neck. Um, um, we had to walk up to the front 
say our name, and the whole school said their, your name back and said hello. Oh, so wow. Cole and I stood, and we kind of looked at each other, and we both noticed we had tattoos on, and, and I felt at home. And then it turned out he played bass. So he came and he played bass with us. And then Sean, my really close friend, uh, he came to China with us too. Same idea as Nate, wanted to just get the experience. Mm. And um, we formed Man Made Lake. But now, going back to the, orig- the, the members that are in there now, um, it's, it's just me and Nate are the only two that are remaining. Right. We moved back to Victoria after a year. We just, we'd, we'd had a, enough. Um, we decided to move back to Victoria and take it serious there. And um, so we, we've been through like 15 different members, but now we have the money group. We have the real brotherhood, the real team. I love every single one of them like a brother. Um, and I'll get, so Nate, as I was saying, he's our keyboard player who came to China with me and, and he's also the co-founder of the band. Um, and then next is um, Aaron Blair. He's our bass player. He is a, he's a basically played in hardcore punk rock bands his whole life. Um, he's, but he's played all kinds of stuff. He's a beautiful man. He's just covered in tattoos. Girls, when we play shows, are just salivating over him. And got, like anybody, girls, guys, everybody just loves him. Just That can just, be dangerous to have all that saliva on the dance floor. You know what? I've slipped a few times. Yeah. And, and I'd like to think it was beer, but I think it might have been saliva. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so we've got, we got drool. Drool. Chick sure. drool Chick in front of the stage. Guy, girl, everyone drool. I'm telling you, man, it's just a combo of it all. <laughs> and, uh, and then we've got Morgan Hradecki. Um, who is our drummer and him and I are probably the most alike in a lot of ways. We're both, he's Voodoo's friend. Mm. Um, him and I just have been like brothers. We, we, we love and we fight and we love and we fight and we love and we fight. But what holds our bond together so strong is that we want the same thing. And we have such a similar mind that I couldn't ask for a better drummer. I couldn't ask for a better person. And then, um, Steve, Steve Parker, he's next. Um, he's our guitar player. He, uh, when we met him and we were sort of forming Man Made Lake, he basically, he was a pretty good guitar player, but he just sort of, he was just kind of getting into it. And so his learning of the guitar is just Man Made Lake songs. He also now, like now he's all over the place. He's got his own side projects and he's got, he jam, he can play lots of different like covers and he's really a talented, uh, very talented guitar player. And, um, but he started off learning Mammy Lake songs and that's what got his mind into the band. Mm. So what he basically did was he just, he became man-made Lake as a musician. Like that became what he was playing, what he was doing, what he was believing in. And he's been just a diehard member since. Mm. And he's, he's, he's such an, we couldn't, and by the way, all the guys I'm listing, I can't say this more like we can't be mammy lake without these guys now mm. that, that's the point like i can't be the band without these guys right and then finally we just got a new guitar player recently because i've decided that i don't want to play guitar live anymore yeah i just want to sing yeah. i just want to hold that microphone and go and create, just get all mick jagger on get it. mick jagger let these weird songs just get my my belly going you know the whole thing and um so we got a uh, a new guitar player named bob granodi I, I hope I'm. Sp- I never say his name right. I don't think, but I think I'm saying it well. And he's also the producer of the two songs that we just recorded. The song that you like, "Lonely Are the Brave," and uh, Doris. Um, basically, he. Hey, I like Doris too. For the record. Oh, thank I, you. I, I like yeah. them both. They're Thanks, fantastic. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Do- Doris is an interesting one because it's about a 
it's a bit of a tangent, but it's about a ghost in Victoria. I'll tell you about it. Uh, uh, will bit. you play it for us? Sure, if you want. I'm, I'm being shameless here. Oh, dude, I'll I mean, you play saw anything my original you want. list. Doris was right at the top. Man. <laughs> I'll play anything you'd like. Yeah, <laughs> I'll play it next. And um, Bob, you know, the minute that he listened to us play, from the minute that he joined us, like just hung out with us at the studio, it was love. It was just straight up love. The guy loved our we all have a sense of humor we all have a good time recording with him was so was for the first time because we've recorded with a few people oh what's he play he oh, plays, a second he, guitar he's the second guitar right. player he's he's one of the few and rare rhythm guitar players rhythm guitar i feel like is a bit of a lost it's mm. not as common anymore mm. it's really it's you're really it's it's not as cool to a lot of people just to be a rhythm guitar player and that's what i do i just do are rhythm. they playing electric or yeah uh. now they both play electric guitar um, sometimes, though, for some songs, I'll pick up an acoustic, mm. like Doris and, and whatever. Just to prove you can play. Just so you guys can see it's that like, I've got like something. When Mick picks up the guitar, it just seems pathetic. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you're just Mick, like, you're not even playing it, dude. Yeah, why are you putting a straight jacket on at your show? It's, <laughs> it's like, it's like you know, someone wearing a stethoscope around their neck who yeah. isn't really a doctor. Yeah, exactly. Like, come exactly. on, man. That's not you, man. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's how I actually, to be honest, like, I know I can play these songs, but... The guitar, I just felt like I was wearing a like like handcuffs or or really? or a straitjacket or 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 an, and it was just like an anchor because because it interferes with your movement around like my, the stage. My, my, yeah, like I'm like I'm playing. I, I've gone through. I've smashed guitars a lot on stage. I just the shows go really insane sometimes, mm. and I've thrown my like. Sometimes I'll be playing and suddenly I just I don't even know what I'm doing, but I just I go. I don't, I don't that term where you see red. I just throw it. And I'll just throw it off me. Like, I can't wear you anymore. Really? And it'll just fly across the stage and fall and break. Or, and it just well, that's becomes... That's not good. You ever hurt anybody? You don't never wanna, hurt anybody. You don't hurt one of your bandmates. No. Well, I've unfortunately, I think that's... I've definitely, like, I jump on their backs and crawl on, on top of them while they're playing. And I jump into Morgan while he's playing drums sometimes. So it can be, like... And it's, it's just because being on stage and, and, and having the, those kinds of shows... Um, I warn everyone, like I might lose it mm. just because these, the songs we're playing and the, and how much they can, they, when they hear my songs, they've played with me for so long that they're just like, I get it. I know what right. you're doing. Right. So it, it's like when they're playing, it's like, it's overwhelming. Like I get overwhelmed. That, yeah, that's really interesting. It, it's kind of, you know what it reminds me of? And, and God knows you may have heard me say this before you know, back to the weirdness of the podcast, you know, where people have heard your stories, but there's this amazing scene in Black Elk Speaks. Mm. Do you know that book? Have you ever heard of that? No, I haven't. It's a classic of American Indian literature. It's okay. it's just a phenomenal book. Um, but it's about uh, this kid, Black Elk, mm-hmm. um, is telling the story of his life as an old man. And, and okay. it's a true story. And the oh, way... The way it happened was this guy, uh, a professor at like the University of Oklahoma or someplace, wanted to write an epic poem about the settling of the West in the 20s. And one of his students said, oh, there's this old man at the reservation. Mm. You should talk to him because he lived through this stuff, right? And so this poet went out there to talk to this old man and the guy agreed to talk to him and he started telling him his life story. And this poet was like 
fuck my poem. I'm just yeah. going to write down every word this guy says. This is incredible. Right. Because of the shit he lived through. Like, right. he was 11 or 12 the first time he saw white people. Wow. His father took him out to this outcropping, and there was a train going by, right. you know, in the distance. And he said, inside that, that's actually a machine. And inside that, or machine, I don't even know if their language had a word for machine, but right. there are white people. And yeah. those white people are coming. And in your life, you're going to see them. And yeah. So by the time the kid was 18, 10 years later... Yeah. The tribe had been wiped out. They were living on a reservation. You know, there had been all these wars and all this shit, right? Right. And he ended up joining Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. Oh, wow. And which was like the circus of Indian, real live Indians. And they took them to Chicago and New York and then to Paris. Wow. And like, you know, so this guy's life was just like, what, what the, the fuck? fuck? Anyway, when he was um, like 14... He had what we would call a psychotic break, Mm -hmm. right? He Mm -hmm. started hearing voices. He believed he could communicate with animals. He believed his... He, he could control the weather with his mind. He yeah. had all these uh, delusions of grandeur and and dementia, we would call it. Right. Um, And... uh, so he essentially lost his fucking marbles. Yeah. And, you know, in our culture, we'd pump him up with drugs, put him in a padded room and, right. you know, sorry, you're, you know, your son's yep. schizophrenic. But in their culture, what they did was he had, he went into like a coma for a few days and had wow. all these visions. And when he came out of it, the shaman sat him down and said, you know, describe to me what you saw. And, and he described this um, vision he had where like, like white horse horse uh, men on white horses came into the village from the four directions and the people of the village gathered in a circle and danced around the four horsemen and they you know did all this stuff and so a uh, a couple weeks later the kid the shaman takes the kid into the center of the village and says now just wait here and four men ride in on horse on white horses and the people in the village reenact his vision wow as a you know and the way i read this was that it was a recognition Mm. that this kid was a born shaman right and so we as a culture are going to embrace this guy and help him through this transition period because when he comes out the other end if we're able to help him he's got this amazing power of being able to move between worlds and he's going to use that power to help us right right this is how shamanic cultures deal with this wow and so when you're talking about you know, you you sit alone in a room and you write something down and you play some chords and you get the skeleton of a song and then you bring it to these people you love and they fill it in mm-hmm. and then they enact your vision. Right. Wow. You know? That's so true. And you're on stage and it's like, fuck, man, this is like, this is a, a seed that came out of me and it's mixed with the love of these people. and. Yeah. Like, wow, I'm in the middle of it now, oh, yeah. and it's real. Oh, yeah. It, it must be just incredible. It, it, it really is, and it's also really, um, I always find, by the way, that story is, 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 or it's a true story, but I think it's beautiful. And when you were telling me it, I really could see exactly what you meant by that as a comparison. Because when the guys, they, they, they struggle a bit when I first bring an idea, and they kind of, you know, not struggle, but they just, they really are patient, and they're listening, but then as soon as we get it and then we play the song and it happens, it's like they, they say, okay, Colin, you can put your guitar down now. Yeah. And that's something like Steve is really good for. He's just like, uh. all right, Colin, take off your guitar, 
just take off that outer level, like that, this, this, this barrier, just open up. And I do. And then suddenly we get into this and like, I've seen myself on video and I'm like, I'm really embarrassed because it's just, it's like, it's, it's weird. Like I'm shaking my head. I'm, I'm acting like, as if like I'm going through convulsions. Like I've, I've got tears streaming down my eyes. I've had blood. I've had like just everything like goes into this dance that looks sometimes fun and crazy and other times disturbing and strange. And, and so, you know, when you say that, I feel like that's kind of what my band does for me is that they, you know, they all have their own issues too. So I feel like that they, they, you know, let themselves channel their feelings into the music and then it comes down and I sort of act like, you know, this sort of, um, what's the term for someone that can, I don't want to say, uh, I, I'm trying to think of the A term. medium? Yeah, maybe that's the term. channeling something? I'm channeling them to, together and, 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 and like I'm the knot that, that, of those of those of those strings and and it's weird because it's really it can be really anxious and scary and 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 crazy but at the same time it's 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 more than just a lot of the bands that because i know a lot of bands right like i i play with so many bands and and i watch them and i say so what are you guys doing what 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 do you want to be and they're like oh we want to get famous we want to get signed by a record label we we you know some of them you know want to just like you know, study the business and become this thing where when I'm sitting there, I'm like, I can't relate because I'm not even doing it for like, I'm not even looking like I try to, but I'm not really even looking there. I'm looking at just doing what I have to do or else I don't know what'll happen to me. And I think like, so when I play shows and I go crazy on stage, throwing my guitar around and acting like a lunatic, you're seeing a guy who's literally fighting demons on stage or dancing with God, whoever you want to compare it to. I've done both on stage. I've danced with the gods and I've, and I've, and I've fought demons and you've seen it. And most people get, they, like drunk people love it and, and a lot of like people enjoy it because it's very theatrical and crazy and fun. But um, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm like after a show, like I'm so gone. Like I, like I feel like I've been in the float tank as you you and Rogan have described and and I've also feel like I've been in a through an ayahuasca hmm. journey I've been through a you know like an ibogaine or an ibogaine journey or, or some really intense psychedelic experience and because I think all the chemicals in my brain just explode you know and it's just colors and it's just fragrance of stained glass windows being thrown point blank in my face and that's what it feels like like a DMT trip in a way you know and so I think having a band that can sort of be the lightning rods and allow uh, um, allow me to to you know put out what what this is all about you know so is it how often do you guys perform? We perform a lot. We probably play at least once or twice a month, big, you know, quite large shows, and then um, we practice to about twice a week. And so, like a large show, how many people are you talking about? We can about? play anywhere from fifty people to a couple thousand. Mm-hmm. Like we just played um, um, a few, a lot of music festivals this summer um, mm-hmm. in front of you know anywhere between five hundred to a thousand people. And then it'll switch to, um, you know, small bars, bigger bars. And, um, yeah, so it varies. Is your experience in terms of the, 
like getting into the zone you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Is it different if you're playing a festival in the middle of the afternoon versus a night show? It can be different. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've had shows where people come expecting this guy to turn into a human tornado where unfortunately the song sounded good but it wasn't as exciting as you expected Cause, yeah because i just didn't feel it like doesn't it's not all the time and also like you know I, i've studied one of my friends stanley krippner i oh, don't know big, if you've yeah, I'm yeah. A big fan, okay yeah. so stanley and i've talked a lot about um psychics and mm. and you know people who have extraordinary abilities and mm. he you know we talk about how sometimes they get caught faking it right and one of his jobs over the years has been to investigate so of course he and he's a magician by training so he sees by the way voodoo a fantastic magician oh i didn't even know that about. oh yeah voodoo will blow your fucking mind like card tricks and and sleight of hand stuff really really when i meet him i'm gonna i'm gonna ask him about that yeah but you might he might you know he's ornery so he might not do it so you might have to play a song to get him to do it you know fair enough good trade good trade (laughs) he's also a very good musician oh yeah i think morgan mentioned the musician i think uh, yeah keyboards yeah and he's a and he's a painter and uh, anyway fuck voodoo fuck you voodoo (laughs) <laughs> enough enough voodoo adoration for one podcast. Uh, but uh, what the fuck am I talking about? Oh, but oh, you're, you're, um, oh, oh yeah, he yeah. says that what happens is that is that they have these extraordinary abilities, mm. but they can't control when the ability comes and when it doesn't come. Mm-hmm. So then, in order not to disappoint people, they learn to trick them. That's right. So a lot of times you'll have someone who gets caught faking it yeah but they're they actually do have the ability but you can't like just pull it up you know oh two o'clock we're going on well i guess i gotta get like out of my head now yeah it doesn't work that way sometimes it's there sometimes it's not i've had people that have seen a show and thought this was so much fun greatest like i've had people tell me that was one of the craziest rock shows they've ever seen but then they'll come to a show three months later and i'm just like I'm still performing, I'm moving around a bit, but I'm not giving you that really intense show that I, I've given you. Um, the last two gigs we've had uh, did a, a, a big music festival and um, or two music festivals, and then a, and then a bar show. Um, they all three of them have been intense. The most the most crazy I've ever gone. And I, and I equate that to not playing the guitar anymore. Mm. So ever since I've uh, stopped playing the guitar, um, I've been able to channel that, uh, that side of myself more. But, um, you know, it's, it's like you said, you can't always be that on in that way. And, you know, imagine always being like that every single show that then in itself becomes this loses it. Well, because it becomes an act. There, thank you. Yeah, That's the word I'm yeah. thinking of. Well, okay. And also, is this experience that you're having on stage, is this a, a, something that's ultimately good for you or bad for you? That's a really good question. Um, I've always sort of thought that it's a neutral thing for me. Really? I think that oh. sometimes I can have a really, I'll actually lay in bed after a show and I'll just be at peace. I feel like, oh, I just needed that. I needed to cry, scream, yell, thrash, whatever. And I feel like a brand new person. But then other times I'll walk off stage and I'll just feel worse. And then I'll go into a depression for a week and then I won't feel very good. And then, um, you know, and and so like it it really has its ups and downs. Mm. I think because sometimes some songs remind me of things that I remember writing about that I you know, never intended it to be this show for this crowd to enjoy. Yeah. It was more like, why don't I show you all my penis 
in on stage and see how awkward that can be because that's what it feels like sometimes when you play music like when i these songs are like getting naked well you know in in front of people it's funny you say that because when i asked you that question i was thinking of jim morrison Mm, yeah of course right someone very interested in altered states someone who lost his shit on stage sometimes in a really amazing interesting artistic fulfilling sort of way yeah but ultimately, you know, he starts pulling his dick out yeah. and drinking too much and, yep. and yep. you know, it killed him. And that's, you know, like you said, when you asked if it's a good thing or a bad thing for me, it's like when I'm on stage, I feel like I equate it very similarly to what it would be like to take a really powerful psychedelic and realize that there are no borders to where you are. There, there is no ending. There's no beginning. It's just this place that is ever expansive. And I feel like when you're on stage there's no real i'm not thinking in terms of you know staying within this parameter like honing it in and, and, and keeping it quiet like i've broken microphones at at a lot of i've had a lot of um uh, sound guys pissed because i've broken their mic stand like i broke a mic stand in half and threw it into the side and i've had things like that happen where i've thrown microphones and they don't work anymore and then the guy will be like all right prima donna thanks for the show but you fucked up my equipment you asshole and i feel like a piece of shit because i really as a as you you and i talk now i'm i just i want to be happy and get along with everyone and and just have a good time i don't want to break anyone's equipment but when i'm on stage and i turn into this you know wild-eyed monster i just or whatever i am um uh, I feel like I feel like I'm I, I do things that can cause issues, you know, like I've been kicked out of music festivals before because after I get off stage, I'm just so out there that, you know, even people that give me like I had a secure recently I was at a music festival and uh, I was just we had unloaded through this little gate and um, we had unloaded our band equipment and I we were having a couple beers after and I was just winding down a bit and I remember seeing my backpack was still on the stage. So I ran up to the stage, grabbed the backpack, ran down, and went through this gate, kind of pried it open, and, and went, unloaded it, and came back. And right before I could get back in the festival, the security guard's like, what are you doing? He's like, you can't, you can't leave through this gate, so you're out. You're out of the festival. And I'm like, dude, I just played it, like, half an hour ago, and this is where we were loading. Like, what the fuck, bud? And he's like, you're out. So, unfortunately for him, he turned into this punching bag i didn't touch him but i lost my my, my shit mm. i just was like you're and i, I didn't even want to repeat what i said because it was so shitty but i was just such a dick and i got so mad that i literally got forcefully pretty much ejected out of this festival in front of all these people that just saw me play <laughs> who were just and it was a huge opportunity uh, from this from our yeah. local radio station and they were so amazing to us they yeah. they they promoted us and did so much and then I lost my shit. And it was like still off the high of being on stage. Right, right. So it's, I feel like I should probably just get off stage, put my gear away and go somewhere where I yeah. can't be. Well, I think that's the way a lot of shit. I mean, you know, yeah. people, they get off stage, they go into the green room and it's an hour before anyone can even come in, you know? I know. Yeah. But I feel like sense. such a, it makes me feel like such a fucking prima donna because I just want to be able to get off stage walk into the people that just saw the show and that are happy and be like, thank you guys for coming. You guys are all wonderful. I love all of you. Thank you. But I can't give people But it that. is what it is, man. I mean, you can't, 
Yeah. Uh, you got to give yourself a break there because because you're you're entering an altered state of consciousness and you can't turn it off like a light switch. No, because if you can, then it isn't real. So mm-hmm. it's either real or it's not. Yeah. Right. It's, you couldn't have said it better. Yeah. You couldn't have said it better. So it's like, I don't know. That's the one thing about, you know, like a lot of friends of mine that see us and come to see the show like they hang out with me all the time. And then after a gig or, even, or before a gig, um, don't expect to be hanging with me because I probably won't. Um, my band members and I, we normally go to... My um, drummer owns two amazing restaurants in um, Victoria called The Pink Bicycle. It's a burger joint, just best burgers ever, and another one called The Clay Pigeon. And um, so what we like to do is sometimes after a gig, we'll go into one of the restaurants and just be just the band. Mm. And we'll just... He'll buy us a few beers right. and we'll sit there and we'll just talk about the show. And, right. and that's my favorite. Right. You know, then we're just chilling releasing the vibes yeah totally good yeah you know so that's 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 my favorite you yeah know? but yeah are you into peter gabriel at all i'm actually getting into that world mm-hmm. um peter gabriel i mean my my wife and her family and her dad especially um uh, huge fans so yeah i'm kind of getting into that that scene now i'm just thinking of him you know we were talking about um jim morrison and you know, the, this altered states and, and the question of psychological instability and creativity and how they intersect and, you know, how yeah. it can be a blessing and, and a yeah, burden and, and all these things. Yeah. And he's, to me, he's an example of someone who found a way to, you know, sort of come through a lot of very difficult transitions in his own life mm-hmm. and, and, it seems I don't know him personally. I, you've probably heard me talk about yeah. how I fucked up my my chance to. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, the, one of the reasons I admire him so much is that he he's uh, you know you, do you know the song Salisbury Hill? I do. Yeah. I so do. that's about you know yeah. him being in a mental hospital right. and you know having these visions and uh, you know sort of a black elk speaks kind of experience right but he found a way to channel it and keep it healthy somehow you know and that's you got to admire a guy like that that's my i'm gonna actually now that you've told me about this again and sort of reiterated it to me i'm actually going to do a lot of research into him because that is what my ultimate goal is is i want to make this stuff be a, a, like a like healthy and therapeutic and still be able to be on for people not in a lame cheesy like yeah. fake way but i want to be able to just walk off stage and just let people see that i'm tired and exhausted or whoever because of this experience and i i, I want to be able to be healthy and 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 you know connective with people after so that they don't think that i'm just some snobby douchebag because unfortunately with bands snobbery is misinterpreted a lot I think that there's a lot of people that go and see a band, then they try to talk to the singer before or after a show or, or, or a member, and they're just not trying to, like, they're just too in their thing that people go, oh, well, <laughs> you want to talk to me right now? Then you're an asshole, you know? And, and there's a lot of that, unfortunately, that goes on because there's something that I think a lot of showgoers kind of feel like, not all of them, but some of them, I think, have this sort of sense of, of ownership like we paid this ticket to see you so you're indebted to us so you should you know dance for me you know what i mean like and and in a way that can be hard because you know i can't go out or these other band members can't always just stop setting up on stage look at you meet all your friends get photos with you sign your cd and then 
go back to what they're doing because if you just were constantly doing that you would never be to play your show firstly and secondly it 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 takes away from that that the mystery of that person yeah like i i don't want to like when i see a band i love i don't want to go and hang out with them and get to know them because they're too of a much of a mystery to me like like they're these unique people that i look up to but i don't want to go in there and intercept their 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 system Do you know also what I mean? and also I, I i mean i think part of what you're talking about is is um true of all creative yes, stuff agreed. i mean i get people sending me emails saying hey you know, I haven't read your book yet, but I think you're wrong about jealousy and oh, prehistory gosh. and because, you know, blah, blah, blah. What do you say about that? And it's like, dude, you know. Read my book. Well, A, Firstly, read my book. Yeah. And, and B, what makes you think I've got time to engage with you one-on-one, yeah. some person I've never met? Exactly. You know, about something you can't be bothered to research exactly. in the first place. And, like, the, the fucking arrogance of that is, oh, yeah. is astounding. Yeah. But as, like you say, you know, not wanting to come across as an asshole, mm-hmm. it took me a long time before I would just delete those emails. Yeah. You know? Right. And I wasted a lot of fucking time. Sitting there. Either at... saying, dude, read the book, yeah. and then get back to me, you did. Yeah, or yeah. that which then he's got to respond to and then I've got to you know and then you waste all that time yeah or just you know I, I mean I'm still obviously irritated by it, it I still engage with it's, it on some level it's annoying like I've had people come to shows and go hey man I like that line that you sing but I I got a better idea you should yeah. add this word to the line <laughs> instead of saying dissection use digression or yeah. something and I'm just like dude I recorded the song already but it doesn't even matter right but you're telling me like like you, you get people like that that think they've got a better idea for you yeah. than you have for yourself. Yeah. And I and I've I tell you yeah. I've had I've had shows where I've had the promoters come up to me and go, you know, it's a pretty good show, but you should write more songs like this. Yeah. Because I think you'd get a better and bigger fan base. Right. And I'm sitting there looking at him like, dude. I don't write songs for you or anyone, really. I want, I mean, yeah, ultimately I'd like it if people liked the songs and, or felt something when they listened to them. Right. But honestly, um, I, I can't be bothered even talking to this person any minute longer, you know? So it's one of those situations. And by the way, actually, I want to tell you, um, when Simple Man, when you, thanks so much for playing those song, uh, that song a couple times because I was flooded with emails from people from that song. Oh, really? Oh, my oh, God. Good. I, I had uh, veterans, um, American veterans, mm. telling them that that has, with, with PTSD, telling them that they've, that the lyrics has really, like, they related, it, they, they could relate to uh, yeah. feeling like that, yeah. up to people getting married, to using it as their song for their wedding. No which shit. I didn't, I don't know how or why, but that's good. Um, to um, just <laughs> everything. Like, and one guy paid $40 for the song. Oh, Literally nice. paid forty bucks. Oh, because you it. can name your price on name the your download. Price. So I just oh, like I, I didn't expect to make anything or really like all I expected was that all your listeners were going to listen to my song and that'd be great. Yeah. But the um, the the overwhelming outpour of 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 just and the people thinking that I'm going through a horrible time. So oh you know hang in there, man. Uh, I'm right. the same, and, or this happens, and it's just. It's interesting. Well, see, that's the other side, right? You get the the shitheads who say, hey, man, you know, they use this word instead of that word. But yeah. then you also get people who are actually touched on an authentic level and they're just, they just want to tell you that. Yeah. And it's so fucking beautiful. Yeah. And, 
you know, a big reason I haven't finished this book is that I'm, you know, answering 20 emails a day from yeah. people who are are just really good people. Yeah. And I can't not respond to those people. I, I, yeah. It, you know, I got 150. Anyway, we're whining about being famous. I know. This, this is really bad. <laughs> well, can I ask you one thing really quick? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. this is something that I've thought about whenever you've talked about finishing this book. I feel like, or this is just my perspective, but I was going to ask you, do you feel like, a book like that needs to kind of be finished when it can, when it's ready to be finished. Like, do you feel like you're almost living the experience to write about it still in a way? Like, do you kind of yeah. feel like you're still experiencing the book? So like you're yeah. hearing the end, yeah. but you had to go through all this. Yeah. And I felt that way with Sex at Dawn too. There was mm-hmm. a lot of delay. And then when it came out, finally, I felt like it was exactly the right moment. And exactly. so- there is part of me with this one as well where I just feel like it'll it'll be the way it is and that'll be the way it should be with any creative thing I think that's oh you know. that's the that that's just kind of how I feel and I yeah. and I look at sex at dawn which I love the book I've read it twice now and then I look at what you're gonna have civilized to death and I feel like um, I feel like a book like those two books they can't just be forced or pushed into p- being published I mean obviously yeah. you're, you're gonna need people to get you put because if you know but i think that something like that needs to come out when it's ready yeah and i I also feel there's some sort and this is a terrible terrible thing but i do feel like like the shit is hitting the fan in a way that's gonna make the message of that book much more uh palatable right. in a weird way for people. Right. They're going to be more ready to read it. Like right. even five years ago, say, people would have been ago. like, yeah, come on, you know, cheer up, cheer, look on the bright side. <laughs> you know, and now it's yeah. been like, you know, the Gulf oil thing and oh, Fukushima yeah. and the polar ice caps melting and the, ISIS you know, and the, everything, uh, all of the stuff, cool. you know, no water in LA and fires everywhere. And, and, you know, people are going to be much more willing to take step back and say, wait a minute. Yeah is this maybe this guy's right you yeah. know like as weird as that sounds but it's true yeah it is true but you know and you can probably relate to this like there you know when you're doing something creative you're immersing yourself in it you know it might take you months to write one of these songs yeah. and three minutes to play it absolutely um you know, but the people who hear it, it's just a couple of minutes exactly. and they're done and then they're on to the next song yeah. for you it's like this huge thing so I'm ready to be thinking about something other than, you know, what a colossal mistake our species has made. Well, from listening to how you've described the book, because I've listened to your podcast now for, I don't know, a very long, like I'm one of your longest listeners, I think. And um, I feel like, you know, this book and, and everything that, that you're writing, you, 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 you seem like how I am as a songwriter. You immerse yourself you get into it, but after a while in that place, you, you need to come up for air sometimes, you know, yeah. and it's, it's hard, but then you got people expecting you to have things ready and, and, you know, get this done, get this going. And I think I can be really, you know, I feel like that too with the music business. Yeah. Colin, write more songs. Let's go. We, we, yeah. we need a new record from you. Right. Let, let's go. And it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah pump it yeah, out, yeah. but keep it real. But Keep it real. man. Yeah. Yeah. How do you yeah. keep it real if you're pumping it out? It, it's, it's so tough. So. You know, another, when you were talking about, um, not wanting to approach people in a band and all that, and cause there, there's a mystery to yes. what they're doing and you want to respect that. Yeah. I was thinking, um, I was thinking about how, uh, a musician 
and, and probably writers as well, different, I'm sure this, this applies to other types of creative work, but sure. um, you can transmit things. See, see if I'm full of shit here. Okay. All right. I listen to you singing mm-hmm. and what comes through in your voice to me is calm, mm-hmm. peace, yeah. confidence. Mm-hmm. That simple man, that, that relaxes me when I yeah. listen to you sing that. Oh, your, you. your voice is so it's gentle, but it's strong. And all. Can you try? I mean, maybe that's the way you feel when you sing it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but when you're talking about anxiety and, yeah. like, losing your shit on stage and, you know, like, the, a lot of the things you've mentioned here, mm-hmm. you know, my impression of you is, like, you're much more intense than I yeah. would have thought right. from hearing the song. Yeah. Can you, can an artist transmit, talking about the balloon, all right? Remember the balloon on the string? Okay. So, so let's say the balloon is the experience. Yes. You as an artist are holding the string. Yes. So you're, you're able to describe or transmit an experience so you can pass the balloon to someone without ever having touched the balloon itself. That's beautiful. Is I mean, does that how? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I, 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 so, I would love so it. meeting the artist can be a real letdown for people. And I'm, I'm not saying no, in no, our I case know what it you is, mean. but yeah, I know yeah. when people meet me, sometimes yeah. they're like expecting me to be like a lot smarter oh, than I am, or a lot funnier, or whatever, because their impression of me comes yes. from this book, which is a yes. distillation, right? right? Right. And with you, songs are even. You know, they're even more limited in a sense because it's a distillate. It's like a shot glass instead of a barrel, right? You couldn't have said it better. Uh, yeah, so there's a weird thing. People meet you expecting you know, to know you, and they really don't. One way that I, I, I feel like you, you can... By the way, your balloon example is, is perfect. I, it's better than what I was going to say. But what I was thinking was... I was recent... Here's an, uh, an example of like how I see like a song. is have you, I, I got trapped on an elevator um, a couple years ago. And, um, the, I, I, I'm so claustrophobic and I hate elevators. Like if I can take stairs, I will. Really? I don't like elevators. Like all, anyone that knows me knows this. And I got trapped on one with a few people and I expected, I felt the feeling of anxiety and fear and, and everything just like crash into me. And I was just starting to overwhelm. But, and then I was with a couple girls and one of them started crying Another guy thought it would be a good idea to turn on his music on his phone to get people calmed down, but that was just creating more chaos. Uh-huh. So there's a girl crying, there's someone with music, I'm about to have a panic attack, but all of a sudden, I just spoke like, everybody, we just need to wait. Nate, instead of having your music on, turn off your music and call the fire department. This is what we're going to do. And in my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling hell. <laughs> Right. But I'm projecting this calm demeanor because I'm not going to help us off this elevator. If I go, motherfucker, and I rip the doors open and I take my clothes off and I'm punching the wall. And like I needed to 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 translate my my fears and my everything to everyone else in a way that's going to benefit people. And I think maybe in a way, the simple man, you, you could even equate it. Perhaps in a sense, like it's like that. It's like I'm I'm giving you a, the most the, the the prettiest version, the most the, the most delicate version of 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 chaos as possible. And I think that a lot of the times, with a lot of people like like musicians, comics, artists, I think 
you know, we all have, like we go, cool, I had a really shitty or really great or really crazy experience. Now I'm going to project it to these people in my own personal way. And I think that sometimes it can come out, like you say, a chill folk song. Um, it can also come out, you know, in a, in a really hilarious bit or it can come out, you know what I mean? So I think, I think that that's kind of the element there. Like I yeah. think like there's this sense of peace that can really sort of come over you. And, and I think that, that's, that's why I'm a musician because I feel like it's really the only place that I can feel better. You know, one of my favorite things to do when I write is to, is to roll up a joint and, um, pour myself a whiskey and get my write, my pen and my book and write. And, and, and that to me, it's kind of a Hunter Thompson approach, but it's, it's truly like the way that I like to put my thoughts down. And cause then drinking is, I'm not condoning this, everybody. Like I'm not saying drinks and drugs are the way to do this, but don't do this at home. Yeah, kids. Don't do this at home kids. But I think that sometimes, um, getting it out of you, 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 sometimes you need to do it, whether it's going for a run, whether it's, you know, watching a movie or being inspired by somebody or, or having a drink or, or, or a smoke or whatever. You got to get it out of you somehow. And I think sometimes um, doing that uh, helps you create something that you're going to be proud of in the, or at least create something that you're going to be like, this was meant to be how I created it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how I feel about it, you know. But your balloon example, I think, really is the best. Passing the balloon to people. That, that to me, really, re- that to me re- reflects it the best. Yeah. Because you're giving them the experience, but it's above you. So you can't really feel be it yeah you you know yeah you've got some control over yeah. it but you don't really own it nope. it's floating around yeah. and you can it can you can lose it at any moment exactly float away they float away <laughs> thanks for doing this man i don't know oh, i don't Chris. even know how long we've been talking but i know it's several hours at this point um you're gonna play doris yes right yeah absolutely all right so we yeah. are gonna end with doris but before we do i just want to thank you again thank you chris you drove all the way down here you lost your money on the way <laughs> god knows what's gonna happen to you on your way home. oh hey you know what i figure i've come this far man the journey's just about to climax <laughs> all right i am gonna i i videotaped you doing a couple songs earlier i'm gonna videotape doris because the sun is hitting you beautifully right thank now. You. Who knows thank how you. long this... Well, thank you. Why are you thanking me? It's the sun, man. <laughs> thank you, sun. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you can see these video. Uh, I'm going to have a link at chrisryanphd.com. If you're listening to this on YouTube or... Or on YouTube, on uh, iTunes, iTunes or whatever, go to my website. There will be a link to the, the YouTube videos of Colin playing these songs live in the sun in Laurelhurst, Laurelhurst Park. Thanks, brother. This is great. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and appreciate your support for the podcast, especially those of you who do it through fundwhatyoulove.com, where you can set it up to take a buck, five bucks, ten bucks, whatever you can afford, whatever you feel motivated to throw at the podcast every month. Uh, You don't have to think about it. It's an ongoing thing. You can cancel at any time, of course. That's fundwhatyoulove.com. That's run by Danny Osman, who also does the sound engineering for the show. You can find him at emeraldcitypro.com if you have any engineering, sound engineering needs. He's great. I vouch for him, of course. He's been doing the sound engineering for this podcast for over a year now, completely voluntarily. Uh, he's a cool guy. So if you have any business you want to throw his way, please do. Thanks to Basin and Range for the opening music. You can find them at basinandrangeband.com. 
Uh, there's a Reddit tangentially speaking discussion group. If you want to talk about episodes, throw a question at me, get a conversation started at Reddit. Just do a search for tangentially speaking, all one word. And of course, thanks to Bennett at Shore Design T-Shirts, another guy who's been supporting this podcast from the very beginning. When I had about 15 listeners, he was there. He's still there. And uh, I love him. Never met the guy, but I love him. And I sure as hell love his shirts. So you can get his shirts at shoredesigntshirts.com. And of course, all the shirts that are at chrisryanphd.com are made by Shore Design T-Shirts in Thailand and packaged and shipped to you by my mom, Julie. Uh, say hi to Julie if you order anything. She loves it when that happens. Okay, that's about uh, a wrap on this. Uh, even though we said at the end of the podcast that we were going to talk about Doris, if you were paying attention, you probably noticed that I played Doris uh, an hour or two ago. So, uh, in fact, what we're going to end with is a song called Silver Locket. This is Colin Crevero from Man Made Lake. Go check them out if you're anywhere near there. And even if you're not, you know, just get a ticket. Go see them. They're amazing. I I, I imagine. <laughs> I just realized, as I said, they're amazing. I I uh, I suddenly became aware of the fact that I've never actually seen them. I've just met Colin, but I'm sure they're amazing because he's amazing. And uh, the songs are amazing. So what else do you need? All right. This is Silver Locket, Man Made Lake. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of this crazy experiment that we're doing in unfiltered media direct conversation between me and you and um you know while I was producing this I got a really lovely email from a guy who describes himself as a confused dude right by the Baltic Sea and um just wanted uh, to give him a shout out it's good to know you're out there Philip I don't like what she thinks of the universe I don't like where she walks in her head She rubs and pats all of the men at all the gentlemen's clubs she breaks down when her womb is full and occupied She's flooded New York with bright lights on top the Sunday train She's flooded New York with bright lights on top the Sunday train Tarnished silver skin reminds me of a locket I don't like where she walks inside, inside her head You can help but watch her ink eyes dripping in her water
girl you cannot speak Run, run, right past Michael's ways She rubs and pats all of the men At all the gentlemen's clubs She rubs down when she's all alone And sad inside But watch her ink eyes dripping Like smoke in her water Dripping in her water. 